Hey there, Korg. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash. This is Steven. Steven, who's Korg? Korg is the rock guy from Thor Ragnarok. Oh, interesting. Oh, like Okald. Exactly. This this episode needed some levity, so uh, we will play a little clip of when we first meet Korg with his adorable little Kiwi accent. Over here, a pile of rocks waving at you. Here. Yeah, I'm actually a thing. I'm a being. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Korg. I'm kind of like the leader in here. I'm made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid unless you're made of scissors. <laughs> and he uh, he was actually voiced by Taika Waititi, wasn't he? That's right. Awesome. And apparently Taika based him off of, like, bouncers that he met at bars in, uh, shit. Huh. What country? Why am I blanking on this? Australia? Australia? No, uh, New Zealand. Uh, t- Taika, yeah, New Zealand. God, I wanted to say okay. Norway, and like the, the N in Norway was there, and it just wouldn't leave my mind. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I thought he was from Australia rather than New Zealand. Nope, Thor's okay. from Australia. I guess that makes a lot more sense as to why he um was was working with uh, Jermaine on the original What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And the so and the current What We Do in the Shadows. He's. Uh, yes, director, co-writer, or something. Still, yeah, great series. My favorite live-action series. It's fantastic that is currently running. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Korg, Stephen, what are we doing here? <laughs> we are discussing Alexander Wales' web serial "Worth the Candle" in our podcast called "Not Everything Is a Clue." Yes, our home site is HPMOR hpmorpodcast.com and you can go there to sometimes we have show notes or links you can find those there you can subscribe to us you can also find the link to support us on the patreon which we would greatly appreciate because i don't know it's it's just it's kind of cool and also uh we have a link to alexander wales's patreon too because he's the one who wrote all this thing and has given us all this wonderful content to read and and you know fawn over that's right and we do throw 15 percent back his way too so Yes, we do. This is, uh, you know, this 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 wouldn't be happening without his stories. So, exactly. All right, uh, I did not have anything from the audience today. Did you? I haven't been on Discord much, uh, so no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing so, personal, uh, people. I just been busy. Yeah, yeah. He he hates everybody on Discord. Just in general, people on the internet. All of them. If if they're humans, yeah. So, yeah, I guess I got a few top of the show notes that I wanted to touch real quick. Um, the first being that, I mean, obviously you knew that I knew that Fen was dying in this chapter and that from the very beginning of the story, she was dying. And I have I admit that has slightly colored my reading of her where I like, like her more and cut her more slack now because I knew she was going to die. Like in the previous uh, episodes, one of the things that I didn't mention was that when Fen split from the group after june split from the group to run back for him the first time i read that i i was much more like fen what the fuck are you doing stop being as stupid as june was here but like knowing now reading it i'm like oh my god she dies in just a few chapters i i'm i i can't get on her case as much and uh i tried to keep that out of my my uh reading rereading as much as possible like i was uh I was this much of a fa- uh, fan, fan, fan from the very beginning, and uh, I was I was letting that come tr- through and trying to hide it. But also, based on stuff that happens with Valencia here, I kind of um, hate or really dislike Valencia, and I was trying very hard to channel my inner joy and glee at uh, having Valencia in the uh, in the book 
when she first showed up. Uh, so, you know, it would be, it would be just as less, I liked her just as much as I liked her on the first week, you know? Well, you did a great job covering, I mean, I'm not sure if things turn around with Val or not, but uh, you've, you've always been a huge Val fan uh, as far as I've been able to tell. So, yeah. uh, and I, I totally get it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Fen stuff a lot when it comes up, but um, she talks about not wanting to, you know, having June Arthur her and yeah. like, you know, it's straight up. It's hard to think about people when you're grieving for them, like in a negative way. Right. You, mm-hmm. you don't remember anything negative about them. You, you might be able to vaguely recall like, oh yeah, you know, they might've, and it, I guess it depends on how big of a, di- you know, if they were like a total dick maybe it's easy, but if they were right. overall good, then like the imperfections just completely slip away. And yeah. so you you were what you were reading her through this time with rose colored glasses, and I I totally get it. Yep, yep. And uh, also, I intentionally like timed these last chapters how we uh, had done them because I wanted eighteen through one hundred eighteen through one hundred twenty to all be in a single setting sitting because I just I thought it was important to get closure on that when when this first happened. I just kept reading like a madman for chapters because I didn't quite believe that she was gone, gone, and that we needed that that closure i appreciate that being left hanging would have been like a really dick move um <laughs> if, we, if we were stuck what was it, at the end of 118 yeah when it's like first declares that she's dead um yeah. my first my all my immediate notes there were like no she's not there's there's magic there's you know i call bullshit you know yep, yep. quit all this quitter talk so if you maybe sit there for a week i would have been annoyed um yeah but yeah no i mean i think that that was nice and it's it was a good uh, chunk to get all at once. Um, I didn't binge it. I appreciated. So you let me know after we recorded last week. You didn't like tell me what was going to happen, but uh, you knew that. Um, and you know, it's not exactly a secret because I I mentioned it on Discord. But uh, a friend of mine died a couple of weeks ago, and you know, you were still like, so hey, there's like some uh, like grief stuff that's extra heavy in the next reading, and you know, if you want to like skip the week. It's totally fine. And, um, I really appreciate that. That was very thoughtful of you. And so hmm. it, you know, it didn't hit me too terribly hard, like on that particular note, I'm probably mm-hmm. still in the processing stage of my stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, I've also been pre-processing it for months cause he had cancer. Um, yeah. and, and also uh, it's a fictional character. So it's not, you know, it's not the same kind of level. I don't know. I mean, I did cry a couple of times and I feel like I was crying for Fen less about you know, like no doubt it was fueled by some of my own feelings, but you know, he hits some of these feelings so hard. And, yeah, he does. Uh, it's, I, I think I've mentioned this somewhere, but like Wales writes so many things like he's a per, like an expert at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really hope he's not an expert at this kind of grief processing, but he nailed a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, at least in my thankfully very limited experience. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, what was I, I think I had one more thing to say on that, but, uh, anyway, your courtesy was very well received and I appreciate it. Um, and I, I can't remember what my last thoughts were on that, but if they come to me later, I'll remember them. So, okay. Uh, Oh, and I guess I should mention this too, at the top of the show. I, so I went through and cleaned up my notes like usual. And then as I'm like going through my notes and cutting and pasting them into the show notes here, uh, I noticed like a lot more like grammatical errors and, um, a couple of like, I don't know, 
a few words that were just like totally missed because I've got autocomplete on my phone and it was way more than usual. And so mm. not a huge thing, but like they are, they've already gone out, they're published and they're gone. So I don't care, but like enough yeah. to go out and try and fix it. But, uh, I guess a lot of them, it looks like I can't talk or write and I, I can, <laughs> if I try, so <laughs> I yeah. need to qualify that. Um, yeah. Anyway, we know you're you're a pretty darn smart dude. I I try to fake it. And also, fake it till you make it. Exactly, and also phones suck. They're always autocorrecting and bullshit like that. I, you know, I don't know. Rachel doesn't use autocorrect. She just types correctly, and I have no idea how. What? Yeah, uh-uh. it, and she types faster than I do with autocorrect. Like it's crazy. Granted, probably twenty percent of my time typing is fighting the autocorrect. Ah. Right. <laughs> Right. So that, that probably cuts cuts into my productivity there considerably, but you know, that's a good point. I I always I like almost every message I have to fight at least one word, right? Yeah. But I tried huh. it off for two one, a week or two a few years ago to try it and it, I never got good at it. So okay. I'm I'm crippled by Oh, last thing on Max, if I can just mention it real quick. Mm-hmm. So years and years ago, in the in the age is gone when Mac was cool and fun, don't get me wrong, I still have I still have Apple stuff. But they would do like their annual showcase of all of our cool new products coming out this year. And it was actually like cool new shit. Not like here's a more expensive phone with a slightly better camera or whatever. Yeah. Um, their big announcement this year that like they, you know, they're like the, they're to me, their biggest one was their new MacBooks now have uh, like the Maglock charger, HDMI port, USB port and SD card ports, just like my 2015 MacBook. <laughs> and so now for t- for a mere $2,500, you can get yourself a computer that has all the shit that ones from seven years ago had. Um, we have reversed our prior shitty decisions. And, you know, so when I was joking about it to somebody, so I sent, sent them a link and, and talked about that. And then as I was writing that out, I was like, you know, they own, they, they, they maybe didn't come out and say, because I didn't watch the thing. I just read like a summary. Um, they didn't come out and say, hey, look, we fucked up. We thought that everyone wanted the thinnest computer possible and everyone liked USB-C, but... We now realize that you guys don't like having to spend a hundred dollars on dongles to use your computers. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they uh, if they didn't come out in so many words, at least they did own up. They did reverse their stance and are you know going back to what the market's been asking them to do for the last several years. So that's good. Even yeah. they can learn eventually. Apparently, good on Apple. Yeah. All right. All right. Shall we jump in? Yeah, I can't think of a segue, so we're jumping right into 117, Beast of Burden. Yes, and the first thing I pulled out of here is something that becomes relevant later. Uh, Bethel says, I'm not going with. Amaryllis would wield me like a weapon, much as her ancestors did. And I pull this out because I think that's shitty of her, and especially in light of what happens later. But I also see her point, because she doesn't want to be a sword, and... And I think it's kind of important to establish those sort of boundaries right at the start, because otherwise it's really hard to backtrack when people expect something of you and be like, oh, no, no, I just I only did that the first time we got together for for reasons. And uh, and then you have this pressure to conform. And it's it's really good to say no up front if you do not want to be treated in a certain way. I totally agree. Um, That said, if I respected Bethel's principles, I'd agree with you 100 percent. But to the general point of like, you know, if you're not comfortable doing the thing, don't say yes. And mm-hmm. uh, then you'll be less likely to be pushed into it later. Um, I can dig that. And I get Bethel wants to be a house or whatever. But I think Amaryllis has a really good comeback when they get back from their their visit, their trip to the whatever murder hobo den. 
So I'll save it for then. But uh, we need to figure out Bethel's place in this dynamic, right? Yeah. I mean, if she's just going to be a stationary building, like, cool. But why are you a companion? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if any, like, Ropey makes a better companion. Ropey comes with on missions. He's helpful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, like, at least there's that. But I, uh, yeah. I'm, I, you know, that said, I'm sure this will go somewhere interesting. So, and also, like, I think the the Spider Man said it best when he said, "With great power comes great responsibility," and it seems a lot like she's shirking the responsibility. Like, as anywhere you go, if you are like a guy with a with a woman on a date or something, it's kind of you're going to be expected to maybe act in a defensive measure if you have to. And I've never had to in my life. It's like. We don't live in dangerous times or something, but there's still kind of that expectation there, which just comes with the body you're born into. And I don't know, like you don't get to choose every single role that gets assigned to you. And I think it, Bethel's kind of bitching out by being like, yeah, I'm I'm incredibly powerful and can do all this stuff. And yet I choose not to not to use my powers because that is not what I want. Yeah, I think you and Spider-Man put it best. I think that Bethel's thing is that she doesn't share our values, right? She cares about being a good house, not about helping people or whether they live or die or making friends. Right. Um, so it's, it's that, that's part of what will make this dynamic interesting as we keep going through the story. So, um, I, uh, I had one to, to pull out here that this was, you know, everything came as a shock at the end of one eighteen. So, you know, I was even handed in my, um, my segments that I, my criticisms that I pulled out before then, but, so they're they're I can't remember the exact like setup for this. They're talking about like what do we do next or whatever. And you know, June's on the Arthur train, and uh, Fen says, "Do we really care like where Uther went?" And it seems like we have better things to worry about than where he ran off to. And I said, "I says, I says, bitch, did you really just say that?" <laughs> um, I said, bitch. <laughs> if you wanted to go to Taylor's, just tell a brother you want to go, go to Taylor's. Taylor's. Okay. You said that. Oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah, I laid it out, uh, right? I, I says, I says, I says. I said, bitch. I'm the man of the house. Yeah, you, you said bitch, though. Hmm? You called your wife a bitch. Oh, uh, yeah. Huh? Daryl, where are those guys? <laughs> but i was thinking like come on man if you're if your goal from this breakup was to find yourself and mature some then grow up not cool finn not cool and then disapproving mm. gaze and mm. i stand by that it wasn't cool i get that like she's pissed and so i could totally relate to feelings and stuff and now of course that my glasses are rose hued i can look back and be less mad than i was when i first read it so yeah she, she was you know it everything about Fen was awesome. She was struggling, you know, she was trying to be a good person. Uh, yeah. So, you know, as, as you watched all of this coming through and, um, you know, knew where it was going, it's, it's one thing to watch a character and like, give them a hard time while knowing or like hoping that towards the end, they like get better, you know, like, so maybe if not, maybe if someone wasn't on board with everything Harry did, uh, through methods of rationality, like maybe they like him more by the end. Cause he's grown. Right. Mm-hmm. And, part of the tragedy of what happens is that Ben doesn't get to do that. Yeah. And so you, I think it's, you look back at like their failings and say, well, they were trying or they were working Mm -hmm. on getting better, you know? So yes, their failings were still failings or whatever, but just because they never got a chance to get become better and make up for it doesn't make them like suck more. 
Yeah. So I yeah, I feel you. Uh yeah. June June says that he doesn't we don't even know if Uther was playing by the same rules. Uh if he have different rules, then I mean it seems like we did, doesn't it? His so-called knack seems stronger than whatever you call the thing I have. And I pulled that out because I have no idea what leads him to think that. Like in matters of either minutes or hours, he can learn what takes other people years. And in, in his first week on air, he was swinging a sword after like a few dozen swings. And he was in the top 20% of sword fighters in the world. Like, I mean, not only that, every so often, uh, he becomes like several percentage points um, more elite just in terms of his raw stats, his body and his mind and stuff. And I think, I don't know, I know we bandied about the idea that maybe Uther is playing under different rules, but I don't think that June has less capability in this knack for learning and getting incredibly good at things in a super short period of time. I want to reread the chapter where he first, I think where he hits like essentialism level a hundred and he sees all the excluded things that he can no longer do. Um, I think there were things that like allowed you to copy points from one thing to another, or um, at the very least shovel things around with less penalties. Yeah. And there was gestalting, which let you combine multiple skills into one skill. Right. And if I were to look back and then write, you know, down the date or something or the exclusion number, we can figure out which ones came during the time of Uther. And yeah. so like, I, I suspect that like he, he might be overestimating the knack, but it sounded like Uther could do that with anything. Whereas June can do that with 40 things. Um, right. So yeah. don't get wrong. That's a lot more than everybody else. But uh, if, if Uther could pick up any kind of magic in a few minutes, well, June has to wait until he can reshuffle his character sheet before he can, you know, start using pustule magic. Right. <laughs> That is a darn good point. Yeah. So I think it might be that. And I think that there was something probably with just being able to move points around. I remember that there was something where he looked at that and he said, I could tell something along the lines of like, I could tell that this was once allowed, but I couldn't do it anymore or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was that. Okay. So he might've, he might've been different rules in, in terms of less things being excluded and off limits. Well, and just the ability to like, you know, so he's able to get really good at essentialism when he needs to in a pinch. Right. Yeah, uh, but if he could get good at anything that way without having to redo his sheet, yeah, then that would that would put him at a level of skill way above everything else that we've seen, right? Right. Yes. So Just maybe Arthur could do that. Swap in any skill at any time and max it out. Yeah. Yeah. How? Ooh. I mean that that sounds you know even video games that I play don't let you do that. If you want to switch yeah. to a different school of magic, you don't get to carry over all the point. Well, no, some of them you do actually. Um, you get to like, you know, just reroll all your stats with no penalties, right? Yeah. Like there's a cost or something. You can only do it a few times or the book to do it costs a lot, but Mm -hmm. yeah. But there's other games that are just like, yeah, go, go ham. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Val's got a problem. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Val starts speaking kind of evilly and, uh, like an evil robot perhaps. And, uh, Solus asks her how long she's been chanting devils. And Valencia kind of frowns and is like, okay, I haven't stopped for more than a few seconds at a time. I don't think there's any side effects, though. Uh, for a few seconds at a time since they got to uh, the, the school, you know, a day or two ago. And uh, I don't know. I, it seems to me that there have been some side effects and she is in denial. You know, I think the school was like this morning. Was it this morning? Like they went to the school and they went straight to the hobo camp. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And They've then had they a went long straight fucking to therapy. Day. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just like for, you know, I like when they do that where, you know, sometimes 
it'll be, yeah, you know, last few weeks were chill or whatever. And then others, we get, a, you know, 10 chapters that are all within the span of 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's like, oh, I don't think there's any side effects. And I'm like, come on, you got to take a break. Like mm-hmm. I, there was something in her interlude about how they leave impressions. And I said, those, those things are seeping into your, well, not your soul since, you know, but still <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the demons are seeping into you. And I worry that yes. they might be, mm-hmm. you know, that that's the thing is if, if she's not currently channeling a devil for perfect lying or whatever, well, she still remembers what it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the kinds of things that they might say or do. So like she might not have the skill there, but she has the, the tools, even if she's not as good at wielding them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, this was a thing that Amaryllis was cautioning from the beginning. No, you need to be your own person and practice getting good at stuff yourself. And right. she has not been doing that. She's she's been doing a lot of devilry, and I I think it's starting to rub off too. Yeah, but Solus Solus says ah, I worry, and holds up the hand to, see, to show she was willing to relent. I it felt like a very old Jewish grandma gesture in a five year old's body, and I thought that was kind of adorable. I love all, all the reminders that she's like a child. Uh, mm-hmm. She and Greg have booster seats at the table, like yeah. little things like that, and every you know. She's she's got the four hundred year old sage wisdom in her little five year old body, but and Solace has an idea for what the what the group should be working on. Yeah, she's worried that the craft the quest uh, to restore the locus is not being not being uh, followed up on, and uh, she's she's feeling kind of like Greg was feeling uh, just a few chapters ago that her concerns are being ignored and uh, it's not anyone's priority, and I think that was. Even sort of becoming Finn's issue too, where like she also wanted something. She wanted to change and get better, and she was being ignored, and everything was just focusing on June. And I think June like should maybe watch rules for rulers because keeping generals content is really super important. I haven't seen that, but you make a good point in that um if your if your lieutenants don't want to listen to you, then they're not gonna be very good lieutenants to you. <laughs> yeah. Stop ignoring people. They're they're important at least reassure them that you are aware of what they want and it'll be taken care of, you know, which I don't think June's been doing, but also June, you know, is 17 and has never had to be the head of a kingdom and have panel of nights and all that. So I guess I can cut him some slack there. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, and he points out like, we don't, we don't know what to do. Like Mm. we brought you back to keep it alive, but we're kind of just put it on the back burner until we can get something else worked on. You know, what else can I, can we work, can we try to do? It doesn't seem like it's going to be soul magic. And uh, I liked how she pulled out, like, no, you can try increasing your loyalty to it. I just like, because Solace is not a proper companion, but she's still part of this group. And she's like aware of all the tools in their tool belt. I never mm-hmm. thought of like just trying that, right? I don't know mm-hmm. what perk he'll get at 10, but he'll get something. At 10, the dough can leave the, the bottle. Maybe. <laughs> and then Solus is like, cool, we're done here. Peace out. <laughs> I feel like it won't be quite that easy, but you know, I think that uh there'll there'll be some sort of something that allows them to communicate better or something, right? Yeah. Maybe that it. maybe that's when she'll turn into a, you know, a nubile young hot woman <laughs> with hopefully only two eyes. Well, June has never fucked anyone with a loyalty below ten, so maybe that's what it takes. <laughs> um Let's see. Uh, so speaking of uh, fucking companions, June oh, says yeah. I'm going to need a new room. And uh, both Grack and Amaryllis are taken aback by this. And he's like, we broke up. 
and they did not know. Amaryllis whipped around to Valencia. It's like, what did you do? And I thought uh, that was that was a cool character moment. But um, also, like, I was also surprised I was in June's shoes. I thought that Finn had told people. Do you think Finn was being cool about this? Or was she being kind of a jerk? Um, I don't think that... I think she's being neutral. Uh, like, she did say that she was planning on, you know, bowing out, uh, presumably, of the group. Um, at least for a while. And that she would talk to the team about it. So I assumed that, like, that's what June was thinking had happened. That she had gone out and told told them, hey, you know, we broke up. It's not a big deal. You know, everyone keep your seats. Um, you know, it, it's not like she came out and made some big joke about it because she's not that kind of person anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, I, in June's defense, he thought that she told everybody, I guess she meant yeah. later, which is fine. I, Cause you know, why would, maybe she's like, Hey, look, we got to go do this thing later this afternoon. Let's not distract the team with our relationship drama. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what I was thinking too, that she was, she was being cool. She didn't want to distract, uh, it, they would deal with it later. But, you know, then I also thought, but you know, he, he certainly seemed to think that she was going to tell people. And I thought that too. So Getting blindsided like that kind of sucks, but I guess there's no good way to tell the team that you broke up. So I don't know. I think I think it was fine. Yeah, I think it's a blameless bad situation. Yeah, yeah. Amrilis says that this uh, this breakup is both unfortunate and suspicious. And June says, "You mean in the narrative sense?" And <laughs> I hadn't considered that, but you know, obviously Amrilis has, and Amrilis is very smart. Do you? Like at that point, when she pointed it out, like, do you think the DM wanted to have two different plot lines running at once where happy relationships are boring and he wanted to add in complications and have June distracted at this next meeting and all those things? I mean, I don't want to take away their agency, right? Yeah. So if, if, if Fen's an NPC and there's no lights on, you know, in her head, then sure. You know, he just, he tweaked the knobs to make her want to break up with him. And I, that's fine. But, but, it, think, but if she's sapient, then like he would have yeah. had to like kind of mind fuck her. Right. I, I'm, I think she's sapient. I think everyone here is sapient, but I certainly would not put it past the DM to do some mind fuckery or, or something, throw obstacles in their path. So chaos and discord, you know, kind of like a, a, a devil, except less, um, less overt because he's the DM. He can do it in a, from a hidden position. Yeah, and like he did, right? He used Val to do it. Uh, yeah. If, if he did do it. I, I don't know. Everything, it's hard to read things through that lens. So I'm kind of with June on like, you know, let's just not look at the world that way. Plus, he said he's not really into the narrative stuff anymore. Like, he said he would just let me do my thing here. So yeah. I, I'm i inclined to take word. him at his word. Yeah. Again, the guy's a dick, but he didn't lie to us straight up yet. So um, yeah. I, you know, it it could be that the forces of hell are using their will, will, their willing puppet to sow discord among the, uh, you know, like this is their first slap back against the person killing the demons, right. To weaken their, their party. I don't think that she's, I don't think that she's being like possessed that way, but you know, maybe they, there is some kind of concerted effort to like kind of leave thoughts in her head sort of thing. Right. Um, Oh, that had not occurred to me, but damn, that's a good thought. It would require that they have some idea of what's going on. And as far as we know, they don't actually know what's killing them yet. But yeah, yeah, I, maybe the ones who, you know, are being eaten, they suddenly realize what's killing them. Right. Yeah, Maybe in the process <laughs> of being eaten, they can do something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But Greg, man, Greg's my boy this whole 
whole fucking chapter or this whole episode. He's just, he's like, Hey, we should leave him alone. You know, let's save our voices. He's trying to be like pragmatic about it. We've spoken enough for tonight. We should save our voices. But really what he's saying is like, Hey, let's respect their fucking privacy. It's their business. Yeah. Yeah. Greg's awesome. He gets a loyalty point for me for that one. Yeah. Uh, so Amaryllis says that we should talk about decision-making within the group because that was what fucked them over at scrutiny. And uh, she also says she is not taking for the reins of leadership. And June thinks, because she's always bringing up narrative, that you're she's doing this because she's worried that Dungeon Master doesn't want her taking charge. That, again, it's a narrative thing. And June doesn't want uh, to make basis, decisions on that basis. And he thinks that the Dungeon Master wouldn't want them doing that either, which... I think he's right that if they start doing that, the dungeon master is going to get pissed off and I don't know, maybe reboot the story or who even fucking knows what happens when the dungeon master doesn't like what the the party is doing in a narrative sense. But I also like see Amaryllis's point because what the DM wants is it is really important. It may have gotten Fen killed and, and if he wants the narrative focus to stay on June, that does mean June has to make the majority of the important decisions. And Amarillo stepping in is just like a recipe for her to get killed the same way that Finn got killed. So, I don't know. If saying that out loud is going to get you smited as well, you shouldn't say it out loud. But <laughs> I kind of understand uh, Amarillo is at least thinking about it in private. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I don't think Finn was killed because she was becoming the narrative spotlight, you know. Or no, stealing the narrative totally spotlight. different reasons. Yeah, but I mean, Amaryllis, you know, unless June gets a hammer and starts smashing demons through the dimensions of whatever, like the planes of existence, then Amaryllis is going to have a much bigger impact on the world than he is. She's bringing about a scientific revolution. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess June's helping. He gave her the backpack. But like, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he will be she, known in history as the bringer of the backpack. That's right. I want to remember this guy with you know was named after a month on Earth. Um, yeah. but. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I I thought it was funny because, you know, he she's she's offering really good reasons why she wants him to be in charge that aren't narrative based. She's like, look, take, for example, the prison when we were rescuing Follader. If I was in charge, I would have said, go through that hallway. You tried to tell us not to. And we did anyway. And we got we got fucked up by those uh, suits of armor. Right. Yeah. So, like, you're equipped to actually make decisions on on the field as well. Um mm. And, you know, he can still do kind of what I was wanting last chapter when I said I wanted Amaryllis to be like the, the like designated diplomat. Mm. You know, they can go to whatever discussions they want. And he said, you could, you could just say, I'm going to let Amaryllis cover this conversation. Right. Yeah. And you could say that in front of the other party so that they still know who's in charge. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> there's one where he's like, you know, I, it, something about, you know, you really should be in charge or something. So she, and she says, so you're ordering me to take charge? And, yeah. and he's like, well, no, I want to make sure it's for the right reasons. But then I was thinking it'd be funny. And he's like, yes, I'm ordering you to be the boss. And then she just says, my first order as boss is to resign and promote Juniper to boss. Congratulations, Juniper. <laughs> I think this she is exactly would totally she, do that. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Uh, I did wonder, in your opinion, would Worth the Candle be more fun to le- read if June was the group leader or if it was Amaryllis? Um, or do you have a preference? I don't really have a preference. I think I would have to... I'd have to compare them both. Um, I like the Amaryllis interludes we've had, like the little, you know, sub chapters or whatever, mm-hmm. but I relate to June more, like just as far as, I don't know, it, it's kind of like the self insert thing, but I, I'm, 
Amarillo's and I are often on the same page, uh, but I think I get her more than I, you know, I don't know. Right now I'm, I'm leaning June. I want I want it to stay on him. Um, yeah. You know, as far as like who's in charge, I don't really care. Like if Amarillo starts calling the shots, like she has been basically for most of the story, hmm. you know, so as long as, you know, they keep doing cool stuff, you know, Amarillo's was like, let's go to Silmar City. Let's go to Caralaga. Let's go cure my rat rot. Um, yeah. You know, so like they, I think she even was then the one who said, let's go to, oh no, they decided to go to speculation and scrutiny before Larkspur and all that stuff. They did that as right. a group. But up until that, um, she was calling all the shots. So, yeah. and I didn't mind. Okay. Yeah. He spends the night in the jar with uh, Solace and the dough. That's right. And he starts talking to the dough and he, he explains to the dough that he's doing this thing like in Star Wars where both R2-D2 and Chewie replied in things that were unintelligible to the audience and uh you you kind of figured out what they were saying based on what people said back to them whether it was han or c3po or whatever and i thought that was really awesome both because it was funny and because like alexander wales clued us into what was happening and also made it part of the story and made it the punchline of a joke all at once and that was really cool yeah so he explains that yeah you know uh I was pretending that you knew what I meant as a joke or that I knew what you meant as a joke. Cause he's like, but he, I think he tells the dough, like you're a better therapist than Val. Um, mm. And all it's doing is like possibly just snoring a little bit, um, mm. but it snorts at just the right times. And so then he, he explains like, yeah, I didn't want to leave it out, out of the loop. And then it snorts and he's like, right. Yeah. Sorry. The horse, let me finish my story. And <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Um, yeah. And I suspect like that the dough is super, uh, like probably closer to John from Watchmen than like any of the other companions um, mm-hmm. as far as its intellect and the bounds of its mind. So I don't think that it's just a, a dumb horse or a dumb deer, but I was thinking that either way, I'm actually okay with it. If these are comedically timed replies from the doe that like, just cause it's an animal making noise, that would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it was, it's clearly listening to him and responding to what he's saying. So, it's getting loyalty ups at any rate. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, June does say in his confessions to the horse that relationships are like riding a horse for him, that it's scary and exhilarating. And then the horse just goes off its own direction and he's clinging to it, hoping that he's not going to get thrown off. And I, I thought that was very well put. It totally feels like how June does relationships and, and I see it and like the entire locust scene where he's down there and it's peaceful and he's talking to her was really great. I agree. The, the last time was too, when he's sitting yeah. there and meditating at that grass. Mm. Like, at, you know, he says something in this chapter about how he can't do that forever. Or, you know, it was a nice break, but he didn't like that the doe likes the when he loses his thoughts. And I'm like, dude, just take a couple tabs of acid and hang out with this thing all night. Like, hmm. it seems like an actually really good use of your time. Maybe not tonight because you got business in the morning, but maybe the next night. Obviously, yeah. the next night's busy, but, you know, he's always busy. Maybe there's never any time to take drugs, but. Uh, no, they had those two weeks off uh, just before they learned about the cannibal. Yeah, and they burnt through all their time. You know, yeah, he could yeah. have been sitting here smoking weed with this with this dough, but no. Um, yeah, wasting next time. his time, not wasting his time with drugs. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's it it was chill. I, it describes you know the the atmosphere really well. It was very relaxed. It was very nice, kind of zen vibe. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. I, I put these in the show notes. So I got to read these. <laughs> so 
he explains about like having ridden the horse and how scary it was or whatever. And then the six eyed doe stood up and I stood up because I'd been leaning against her. She circled around and then leaned down, leans down in front of me, tipping slightly to press her flank against me. I touched her once uncertain. You, uh, you want me to ride you? And my note was, Oh God, am I going to make a sex joke here? Someone else should really do it. Uh, nope. There's only the two of us and it ain't going to be me. And then he's, I think when he's like realized that the horse wants him to ride, He's like, okay, sure, but I've only ever had that one horse riding experience, and I swore off them after, so be gentle. And I just put, mm. be gentle, it's my first time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. You're a uh, dirty, dirty horse fucker. I, hey, I, June is the one who's insinuating all this stuff. That's a good point. Your and young virgin eyes are shocked by this. Apparently, you know, he did say that he found all of his companions sexually desirable, so he said that no that was val that said that well val said that he said that and so it might have been off camera he said that or she just say that about him i think she said that your ad your admission that you found your companion sexually desirable was one thing that set you apart from uther what well, she did say that but she was referring to when he said uh i have more romantic subplots uh than uther did and like it was her extrapolation that you find your companion sexually desirable oh okay like, i i think she is really like he does not seem to be sexually attracted to grack or the doe at all and i think she's putting words in his mouth there yeah that's that's fair and speaking of grack um i remember i took a shower and was thinking about this and then just a random thought occurred to me remember when grack when he's first convincing grack of his game powers by reading him his biography mm-hmm. and grack asks what else and he's like, that's it. Is that not enough? He's like, no, that's plenty. And we thought that that was just like kind of funny about him already having sufficient proof. Yeah. Um, looking back at it now, I think it's that he was worried that June knew why he was paying penance and what had happened to his clan. That is a brilliant shower thought and probably absolutely true. A legit shower thought. Yeah. Um, oh, that's depressing from the very beginning. I mean, so, you know, he they became friends and he was able to open up about it later. But I think yeah. his... You know, his completely flat affect when he said, what else? To us, we just read as, oh, that Grack's going to Grack. But that was his, you know, because he's always hiding his feelings under his thick beard. Um, yeah. I think he was probably panicking. Like, what the fuck? Do these strangers know my like most intimate secrets? Um, That's a really good insight. Well, speaking of insights, uh, he's complaining to the horse, or to the horse, the doe, about uh, some of the skills that he's lacking. Yeah, he says there's not a relationship skill, you know? And it had never jumped out to me until that point that that there isn't a relationship skill. And I think that's kind of huge. Like, I bolded this when I pulled it out because that means that June doing relationships on his own is very important to the DM. He does not want to have him any, any boosts from skills, any cheating, any special abilities. That's like the one thing he really actually wants to see June doing for his own sake. Or maybe not the one thing, but like, we know it's one of the things he wants to see June doing on his own because he doesn't help him with it. Uh, that That is one of the things he enjoys watching. And I don't know. There's, I guess, what things that there aren't skills for is kind of pretty important information, too. I mean, another read of that is that there's no relationship skill because he doesn't want him wasting his time doing relationships. He'd rather, he'd rather have him farming or woodworking. <laughs> right? That, that's, I guess that's possible, but... That strikes me as plausible. Um, yeah. Now, that said, I think that this this whole situation that June's found himself in is in some way set up to help him become a better person or something. 
And so relationships yeah. are no doubt going to be a huge part of it. And so I don't think that it's just straight up. He didn't want him to have the DM doesn't want June to do relationships. Um, Cause I mean, he does also have tons of, I think he, he has tons of supplementary skills for it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a flattery skill. There's social in general um, yeah. with his companions. He can read their souls and read their minds. Like, yeah. so I mean, he, he's got lots of ways to cheat if he right. wanted to. So it, there's no um, specific skill tree that he gets to climb that, at level 20 romance, you will, you'll never have to do the mind reading thing with your girlfriend or whatever. Right. Uh, Cause you just share a brain now. Right. You'll, or, you know, at least it's one way you'll always know whether she's, you know, being in, it, with like, if, if Fen, is Fen deflecting or is she, um, you know, actually just being, making a joke. Well, you'll never have to guess again. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's a, so nothing quite like that. But again, if you wanted to cheat, this world is still saturated with ways to do that. Uh, yeah. especially given point. that he, he can read his companions' memories and uh, tweak their values. Now, granted that they're, they're now soul mages, they would notice, but um, mm. he could have earlier on. In fact, yeah. he could take away their soul magic. You know, like, there, can he? He, he could go full Folliter on them. I don't see why he couldn't. Maybe he might be maybe able to take away their soul their magic. Stuff. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he could move, remove the soul magic. I wonder if you could move skills around on other people. I feel like that would have come up by now if you could. If, if like, any, I mean, if nothing else, we know that you can burn soul magic out of someone, so he could probably find out how to do that. Yeah, that's true. It's a good thing he's not evil, because that would that would be very evil, and I would be very disappointed in him. Oh yeah, this would be a very very different story if he was an asshole, or if like he was a if he was a if this was the Voldemort playthrough. Um, right, right. This would be a horror show. It would be the first Christmas or the last Christmas, whichever one that was. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> uh that hey we're coming up on you know it's well it's october but it's been christmas season for two months because you know how things go um yeah in the next month or two if you guys want to bum yourselves out there's a six chapter or six or so chapters uh short story about alexander wales called uh the last christmas yes so have fun it's it's the falter playthrough (laughs) i had i enjoyed reading it i'm not putting it down but i didn't i didn't put it down and like oh that was awesome I put it yeah. on, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that is fucked. So at the near the end of this, June says he's never been a terribly big believer in free will. And one of the ways of making sense of the world, if you assumed there was no free will, was decide that it still mattered what you decided to do, even if everything was all predetermined. I was wondering if you had thoughts about that. Um, I think he's basically right. Uh, you know, determinism is a loaded term it's great i actually had an opportunity to do a very small scale uh like informal study of this among college educated people so i ta'd for like the capstone course when i went to school or went to i guess it was a bachelor of science in psychology and so for the capstone course i got to ta for that instructor who was actually the dad of my junior high school science teacher but at some point we were talking free will something something and he laid out you know, in 30 minutes, the, the debate very briefly. So if anyone wasn't familiar with it, they now were. And, um, I think I asked them or he asked them like, you know, do you guys all want to write down like just on a scrap of paper and leave it on the desk on the way out? Like, uh, do you think you have free will or something, which a is putting the question badly, but I can't remember what he did. Anyway, I went home and like added them all up and there were 150 people in the class or something. Mm -hmm. And it was something like, it was divided pretty evenly, but a lot of the answers were like, I believe I have free will because I decided to come to class today. Like stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. if you're, if your analysis of, of 
free will is at that level, I think you're not we can get in deep as we can get you're not in, thinking in, about it very well exactly you're not you're not thinking about it in the right frame uh and so we can get into this as far as you want but short version is is that you know there's a difference between being coerced and uh being able to make decisions of your own volition um mm-hmm. you don't really get to decide your volitions but your your thoughts and attitudes and behaviors and the things you expose yourself to and the things you're exposed to impact all that stuff and mm-hmm. so like yeah, basically, okay, I, I'll, I tell you what, I'll, rather than dive in, I'll summarize it. Uh, I'll summarize the other side very well, as Peter Singer once put, of course I believe in free will, I have no choice. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I was, I didn't, I mean, I mostly agree with you that the word free will honestly should just be tabooed. It's, if it is chosen of your volition, then that is the important part, and that is what we're trying to what other people are trying to alter and that the only thing you really care about when you make decisions too. So that's the thing. I, I, I wonder if it's, I don't know, maybe I'm going too meta with the thinking again. I was just thinking about like, if this were to be a, a life story of June and all of it was written already through chapter 220 or something, whatever, would it still matter? But I think that's maybe getting too high a level of analysis. So I'm just not going to even bother with that. Well, we can just, I'll, I'll touch on that before we set it down and then move past the chapter. But like, does June, their character in this story, have free will? Like, no, I guess, because he's not a person with thoughts. Um, yeah. And so like, he doesn't get to decide what happens to him. Mm-hmm. I guess that, that isn't so much of like a question as much as it is an observation. Um, but I still think it feels like it matters what he decides to do, even though it's all already written out, because it, I mean, we're experiencing it as we go with him. And also like, it's a reflection of his character and that feels like an important thing to the reader as we're going through it. I agree. No, I, I, I think you're, you're spot on. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's half of coping with, you know, no free will in the real world too. Mm. Um, you know, he, he's wondering like what the point of the dungeon master kind of like reminding him all the time that this is a game. And yeah. he's like, I kind of already threw out that notion. Like, why is he still, why is this still a thing? Um, but you know, then he calls it a night. Um, I, but again, these, these little, both times in the, in the jar with the dough, he gets to have all these deep thoughts and, and private philosophizing, philosophizing sessions. Yeah. feels like that's what the dough was there for, for deep introspection time. Yeah. And the dough appreciates that he does that. Frankly, he he could use more of it. The dough enjoys it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, hang out and, and think some thoughts, you know, just, oh my God, there's a great stand up. Uh, I'll give me 30 seconds. Josh sure. Johnson, uh, quarantine go to, and you don't have to put it in the show notes, just anyone who wants to YouTube it. Um, but he's, he's talking about how he's sitting at home alone and he's like trying to think like, how does he put it? Like he, 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 he realizes that he's dumb because he's oh, sitting no. at home. He's sitting at home just having raw ass thoughts, you know, not, not like thoughts that he had after reading a book or something. And his, his thoughts that just came out of, you know, from his own mind were stupid. And he's like, is this how dumb people realize they're dumb? Uh, <laughs> but he's really well, funny. Think- and his, his like affect when he's delivering jokes is hilarious. Cool. And a lot of thoughts you have based on is based on what's going on around you anyway, right? Oh, yeah. My, I would love to just if I could record my thoughts for a day and put them on paper. I would. Yeah. I mean, we'd all look insane. But I, I think I would love reading through it myself and be like, God, my brain is a mess. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah all right 
All right. Chapter 118, Breaking Loose. Oh, wait. Sorry. I've got one last question. Yes. Go for it. Beast beast of Burden. You think that's the yeah. dough? I don't think so. I think it's the emotional baggage. Oh. I assumed it was the dough, but I never really paid that much attention to the titles anyway because they're often puns and therefore fuck that. But uh, but that makes sense too. Yeah. I, and I, I asked that mainly because Breaking Loose, I mean, we... Uh, things go off the fucking rails. That could be part of what this means. It could be breaking yeah. loose of narrative, breaking loose of the structure that we had, that sort of thing. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, this is a major turning point in the in the series. It feels like this could yeah. be like the name of the chapter. Like, okay, shit's just going wild after this. You you don't know anymore, man. <laughs> then could just be chapter like one twenty one, the chapter where shit is real. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh man! All right. If they go to Earth, that's what the chapter should be called. Oh, when shit gets real? Right. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, yeah, they're talking about how to uh, how to approach the murder hobos, uh, the other group of murder hobos, rather. And they don't use the time chamber, <laughs> you, which you pointed out. Uh, they ignore two they, good chances to use it. Yeah. Well, do you, did you want to get into that since it was you pointing it out? Yeah, sorry. I mean, they talk about, oh, we could bring in a tattoo mage to give us that... Um, whatever that freeze time spell that they used like the prince. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that was different. The timeout was princess and vulnerability was the six second immunity, right? Yes. Um, and they're like, Oh, it's expensive and it's time consuming. It's like, that's not a problem. Neither of those are problems for you guys. Yeah. Come on, bring in a tattoo mage, take them to the time chamber, have them deck you out and all the best possible shit and just pay him very handsomely to keep his mouth shut. Like this, this is a, you guys could have gone in armed to the teeth. He doesn't even have his liar's cup tattoo. I don't think. He, they only have a few hours. I'm not sure that's enough time to find a tattoo mage of the caliber that they would need for that tattoo, but they could have tried that. And, but as far as the few hours, they've, they've had a couple weeks off. He used the liar's cup when they were rescuing the frog handmaiden. Yeah. Um, Did he like not, I think there was something where he, his art skill went down or something and he couldn't do it again. Oh, he actually got rid of his art skill to make room for different skill. But he still has the ability to draw well because he can borrow from his companions and Fen's a good artist. Yeah. So I think I think he could have uh, done another Liar's Cup and he had two weeks to do it and he really should have. Now, Does he that have said, skin magic now? He had better. That's just insanely useful. I don't yes, remember if he, he did have magic. He yes. did have it because okay. he moved the uh, decapitation tattoos. Uh, right, no, they, he did have it, but does he have it now after he redid his, his skills? No, no. Yeah, they, they got other decapitation tattoos and they're stealing the down and out. Oh, you're right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he moved those because that's good because skin magic sounds valuable. Yeah. Um, and that said, this might be the one poison in the world that skin magic doesn't work on or that the liar's cup doesn't work on because it's a very, very good poison. Yeah. It uh, is a poison that fucks your soul. Yeah. It poisons intense. your soul, man. That's yeah, damn. Right. So there's a, a beat of humor because this is a shit's going to get real in the last half of the episode. So we'll, we'll hit the funny stuff. Um, June, they're kind of like talking about like what sort of approach to take. And June just chimes in. Why do they think that nuking me would work? And Grax like, do you think it wouldn't? <laughs> and I, that just made me laugh. Um, yeah. And then like later during the meeting, he says like your plan to, to use nuclear weapons against us might have worked to do that. Uh, or Emerald is saying that to kill June. Um, mm-hmm. Your plan to use nuclear weapons might have killed him. But I doubt that it would since there's some implication that Juniper would continue to possess a narrative in hell. and. Uh, so in a real, in a somewhat possible, plausibly real way, nuking him in the face wouldn't work. And that's just hilarious. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. It just changes his location. Exactly. <laughs> he fast traveled to hell. Yeah. Um, so, oh yeah, Amaryllis is talking. She, she took like a, what, like a weekend or something? She did use the time chamber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she got to read that uh, yes, book. Yes, to read. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay, so I can get off people's backs. Someone's using this awesome resource. That's what always bugs me. And oh, when they that, don't. Yeah, that's one thing that Rational Fic tends to do pretty well is that like there's no one sitting on like this awesome superpower that they just keep forgetting to use. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so she did spend that time to read uh, the Degenerate Cycles. And she says that uh, for Uther says that to end these degenerate, degenerate Cycles, as he calls them, uh, there needs to be a note of complete finality. But even then, he's a bit ambivalent as to whether it would actually work. So, like, the complete finality basically sounds like death. The to- total party kill, the-, the protagonist is dead and irrecoverable, and then that's where the story ends. Uh, but this this implication that even th- he thought even that might be enough, like, that th- that was kind of surprising. Like, Uther thought just him dying might not be enough. And I think that's why he tried to tie up all those loose ends so that there's no chance for any sort of sequel, no son to revenge him narrative, uh, nothing like that. He wanted the story just to end, end, but <laughs> it looks like he failed because <laughs> he couldn't tie up the June loose end since June was on Earth and he was here on Arab. And it looks, I almost think like that was the DM's like last strides. Like, I want the story to keep going, but there's literally nothing for me to latch onto except, oh my God, in his prior life, he had this friend and it almost feels like June was pulled in by the DM because he was the only loose end left. And the DM, I don't know, is just completely obsessed with this narrative that started with Arthur to the point that like he pulls in his friend 500 years later, if he can't find any way to keep the narrative going, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in shoot. I think it was mean girls. Like why, why are you like so obsessed with me or something? I think it was Rachel McAdams and mean girls, but Mm -hmm. One of those. Anyway, that's what that makes me think of. Um, and and it does also kind of mean that, although inadvertently, June is here because of Arthur. Maybe. If if this narrative business is to be believed, like the, the backstory that, or the flashback that we got from the DM, which again, could be a complete fabrication. But if that's to be taken at face value, he just asked June, hey, I got this, you know, fantasy world that's fallen apart. You want to fix it? Yeah. And so it, it could have it could be just an opportunity that the DM looked at to keep this, you know, keep the story going. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a writer and I have no idea what it's like to finish a story, but you know, sometimes some things don't tie up perfectly or whatever, but you know, like the seventh Harry Potter book closed really well. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, other than like how contrived it was or, or, you know, unsurprising, but like, it didn't feel like I wish there was more, um, mm-hmm. you know, most, most things I've read have hit a spot where it's like, Okay, you know that that was good. I enjoyed it. Um, if I mean, there's always fan fiction to write or something, but like the story is done. Yeah, you know they could have ended the MCU after Endgame, but a I'm glad they didn't. But b <laughs> they did end some character arcs. You know, yeah, um, I, yeah. You you can do endings. I mean, they're really fucking hard, but it is possible to do one. But also, if you don't want to do one, nothing's ever over, right? As as John says in Watchmen, like you can keep things going forever if you want to, as long as there is life somewhere. That's a good point. And so like Uther could have wrapped up his own story, but 
if he's not in charge of it, how do you how do you wrap up a story when you're a character in a book? Yeah, yeah. So that that's the the seat that he was in. Okay, I get now why this was a much harder problem for June for Arthur. I mean, did I say June before? I know uh, you said Arthur. Oh, good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's that's a tough spot. All right. Well, um, hitting on another uh, fun, happy, funny thing before we move on to the serious stuff. Uh, <laughs> there's a girdle of opposite gender in the uh, in this world, which I thought was great. Uh, I found out from reading this that it was removed from later editions of D&D, which I thought was really lame. That was a cool little fun item. Uh, but but the June points out that it was possibly politically incorrect or because it marginalized gender dysphoria and made made for too many jokes about gender roles in a game that wasn't really about that kind of thing. And I still think that's lame because it was a really fun item, but also like to be fair, when, to be fair, uh, <laughs> to be fair, when, when I was like 12, 13, whatever, maybe 14 playing D and D kind of, kind of did the same thing. Kind of went, you know, for the whole making jokes about that. And I don't think any of us had gender dysphoria, but uh, I don't know. Do we? I don't know. I, I I am not feeling guilty for being a typical twelve year old boy, but no, also, I, yeah, it's that's the very first time I, I played a female character. One of the first things I did was just have all the sex with everybody, and it really annoyed everybody else in my group, including the DM. They're like, "Really? All right, you fuck the dude." <laughs> I was like, "Yay! Yay! Yeah!" I mean, frankly, I would love to have one of these. Um, yeah. You know, I I think as a kid, you know, go nuts. I don't think there's anything such a such thing as insensitivity when you're a child um, mm. or a very, very young adult. But uh, yeah, I think maybe it was removed because like, if that was like, Oh no, look, you make a, you make a guy character, but he can become a girl character whenever he wants. And then of course, if you're going to get up shenanigans, you'll do it that way. Maybe the, the authors of the game just like wanted to make the game more inclusive. And now granted, there's nothing that says that men have to play men characters, but Maybe this did kind of just like trivialize some of that stuff. Um, I'm not an expert. I have no idea what the culture was like, but I can see it being removed for reasons that might have been like because of political correctness, but that doesn't necessarily make it a bad reason. I also, I think the original incarnation was a cursed item where when you put it on, it turned you to someone of the opposite gender and you could not take it off again. Hmm. But I don't recall. And in that case, it's a little bit more mean spirited. Like, haha, you're now cursed to be the opposite gender. I mean... I my the main curse would be like how do you wash under a girdle like if it's on for twenty years like yeah. does it just you know it's like I'd, I'd imagine it like being like a cast you know mm-hmm. like it just get gross like that's the curse you know if you want to switch bodies awesome but uh, <laughs> if you wanted to do so temporarily well that sucks you're cursed but for me it's like well how the hell am I going to get properly clean um, yeah I do like that uh the rascal character um shoot was it. Uther's daughter, uh, yeah, um, yeah, Dahlia, yep, yeah, she's the one who used that uh, that girdle. So I, it's not really much other than they kept calling her a Hellion. It's like I looked that up, and that's apparently old school fancy talk for rascal. And oh, oh, okay. So this little rascally character is using an item that was later removed from D anD. d So that kind of makes that's in character. Aha! I gotcha. And meta for her, even yeah. though she didn't know it. Right. Uh, so he was talking about that because somebody at the, uh, the whatever meeting of murder hobos and council of arches is wearing that thing. Um, oh no, they were talking about Adalia yeah. had it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and kind of just like out of nowhere, Val is like, stop and whatever you do, whatever your plan is, stop it right now. Um, yeah. and she's, you know, we, we can do more good as allies and you know, you're, you're fucking up real bad. And, uh, 
everyone's like, like, I got the impression that that was the moment when they started releasing the poison gas or something. And she could tell there was a, a change in, in whoever it was that was like going, okay, basically suicide pack time. Yeah. I, I don't know who's in, who was in charge of doing this. I, I kind of feel like it was called like acting alone. Um, I don't think he was acting alone because so many of them started fighting. I think he had some others on his side. I think Everett, the the bumbling mage, was on his side. I'm still not sure about the fox. And it, oh, definitely the water person was on his side since she jumped uh, Amaryllis and started killing her. That's a good point. Yeah, I I guess I I assumed that kind of both parties assumed the other one was doing it, and they just started going at each other. Um, mm. But you're right, probably the the Ocald faction was like, yeah, we're all going to suicide pact, you know, halfway through this meeting. And I imagine their demeanor changed when they knew that the gas was being released, right? And Val picked up on mm-hmm. that. But yeah. interestingly, um, you know, Grack doesn't see anything, which is not necessarily a surprise, but Fen's luck sense didn't go off. Yeah. Um, I So it, actually, now that you mentioned DM fuckery, uh-huh. that, that, could, that is the like most blatant uh, thing. It could be that because it's, you know, operates on a soul level, that there's some in-universe explanation, but of course there would be. That's DM fuckery, right? Right. He, get, he gets to, after the fact, just explain, like, no, yeah, no, uh, Spider-Sense doesn't work on soul stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's no reason that should have been the case. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe he turned off her Spider-Sense. It could be. But so many other things had to had to fall together for this to work where Fen, you know, was the one who didn't make yeah. it. Um, you know, who knows? I for right now, like that's the thing is you know Amaryllis has somehow not completely lost her fucking mind yet, but she's analyzing everything about like is this what the DM wants, and how the hell do you live like that? So I'm going to just assume that this you know this plot went off because the Ocald faction wanted it to. If I try to assume divine authorship of every action, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, also, they could see that Fen is an elf and or a half elf at least and so they probably knew they had to account for that as well so they maybe got up to some shenanigans oh you know every every curse has a counter spell every perk has a has some way to block it right <gasps> right maybe there's a ward that blocks luck sense uh, there or an entad even yeah some, some no doubt but there's there's no doubt some fuckery that can get in the way of that spider sense so yep. yeah they probably accounted for that Good explanation. But of course, the DM would invent that and put it into 5,000 years of Arab history just to have it exist, right? So Exactly for this one with this one situation. But that's that's the thing is like, you know, you can't live operating looking at the world that way. So, uh, right. it's just too too confusing. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, what happens? Uh, pandemonium ensues. Yes. Everyone's choking on their own blood and fighting for their lives and it's apparently some airborne poison. At first, I thought, oh, call is a dipshit for thinking this would work. But mm. like you said, the poison also ruins the soul. So at least it's way over the top, which is what it would take to plausibly kill June. You got to go up to 11. Yep. Um, tell me. So and this is I, I had a question for you. It seemed like uh, Gemma Tails, the fox lady, was set on fire by Everett. That's what uh, it looked like. Yes. But then she's like, fine later. Uh, later on, like all her fur turns white and I believe it's described that she's kind of moving like someone that's arthritic and her skin is all saggy. I think it like aged her up to be a hundred years old or whatever the human equivalent is. Oh, that would be, oh, I didn't even think about that with the whiteness. And yeah, so I remember he shot like a wind at her that looked like a lick of fire. And Mm -hmm. so I went back and read that when it talked about like the three people of his party that survived. 
Um, okay. And who's the third? We've got Princess Bubblegum. We've got the Fox Girl. And is the other Hushno, one? The Dark he, Elf. He survived? Yeah. Looks so like it. He had just, his face melted. They had they described his face in a way that is uh, insanely destroyed. Like his eye was hanging out and the flesh was all fucked up and there was it was almost drooping down like it in tendrils and things. Yeah, it was yeah. it was really gross. But then there was like a joke about how other than that he looked fine. Yeah, um, and I thought that was appropriate for like how seriously bummer the situation was. Like that was good grim humor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got uh, Gemma. Uh, there's a great. Well, not that great SNL bit, but it's got a funny bit where Cecily Strong is playing a British chick. Hello, I'm Gemma. Um, <laughs> and so, technically she's alive, but I don't think she will be for much longer because she's 100 now. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, because I, like I said, it looked like it was fire, but it just looked like fire. It did something else to her. So yeah, it aged her up. Okay, that's interesting. And then uh, I guess Heschnell's technically alive. I have no idea if he'll, <laughs> if he'll get better or not. Right. Um, he sure looked destroyed to me, but I'm not a I'm not an Arab doctor. So basically, shit goes wild. Val and uh, June are fighting Okald, and she she's hitting him with that sword that like eats his memories. And I forgot about that because he's like getting worse at sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's seriously fucked up. June's coughing on his blood. So in order, very importantly, he grabs Solace and Grack because they're both light enough for him to carry at once. Solace is and the team Sol- healer. Yeah. And so he's like, let's get them outside to fresh air and then run back in. He sees Val struggling to carry Amaryllis and he relieves Amaryllis of her and carries Amaryllis outside, then runs back in for Fen. Yeah. Um, And in my notes, as I was going through it, I was like, oh, Fen's going to see being picked last. That's going to hurt her feelings. Um, Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. So um, they they do a round of healing. I don't know if you want to help me understand that or if you want to just say, fuck it, that'll take 10 minutes. Um, uh sure they their souls are poisoned and so they swap in a a new soul body template that is not poisoned and it's uh looks to be some kind of black dude and they heal up to that and then once everyone is stabilized he goes in and they find their actual old body template backups and restore those so they go back to being themselves once they're healed up a second time okay so they they basically need to copy a body slash soul because they're they're intrinsically linked with one that isn't broken and like okay now that we're not dying anymore now we can swap in our old like horcrux backups yes because i think they just didn't have time to go looking through their inventory of souls to find the horcruxes or their their personal ones and they could have started with that i think i assume they could have if they had uh if they had them easily on hand yeah well i mean they had them as easily on hand as everyone else's soul i think but maybe it was just a matter well i think the and june didn't quite realize this because you know it he's also dying, you know, it's an emergency, but, um, he runs around touching everybody to get to, you know, do the, do the soul stuff, but he could have done it without touching them. And yes, he, for he is able to use this. Yeah. Right. He's able to use the same template of that one guy on everyone in the party. Um, mm-hmm. and so I guess, I don't know. I'll understand a bit better when we see whether or not like Grack has his hand back, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's not clear to me what the limit is of these backups. Um, mm. and I'm assuming cause they know more about this stuff than I do. And they didn't, you know, do my immediate thought, which was, I don't know, pour the soul into fend. You know, I mean, she still has her soul, you know? So yeah. like shove the backup into her now dead body and like fix the body that way. And then hit her with a shock of lightning. And then, you know, 
Like, I mean, you could, you could, I guess, give her her unpoisoned soul body back, but it would still be dead. So it would be dead, but like that would be the only thing that's wrong with it, right? <laughs> that's that's a pretty big wrong thing. Yeah. The, the, the thing but, that most concerns me about being dead is the being dead part. Well, I'd rather be just dead than say, you know, blown in, blown to a million pieces. Um, if I'm just, if all that's happened is my heart is stopped, there are lots of ways to, well, there's, there are ways to fix that, right? I, to certain, to certain limits. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I just don't quite get what, what the reason is they can't, uh, like, I, I, is this a dumb question? Am I, am I just hung up on this? They've, they've got a backup of her soul. Yeah. I mean, and he even talks about the idea of grabbing some random person. I, I threw out the idea of grabbing some random Doris, shoving Fen's soul into it, and boom, mm-hmm. you've got a new soul, you've got a new Fen. But that's well, not how it works. That, according to the text, is not how it works. No, that like you would have, you would have the body of Fen and you would have like the, the, I guess the memories and the skills of Fen, but you wouldn't have a Fen in there anymore. You would have a different person with these fake memories installed in their brain. And and a and a body that they don't that they weren't born with. I guess maybe it's not clear how it only stores some of the personality and like maybe not all the memories. Because I mean, you grab me a a meat, a meat suit like mine and shove all my memories into it, and I won't be able to tell the difference the next morning. So I personally agree with you. Like in the real world, I'm not sure what else there is other than the the memories and the biochemistry, uh, both of which this would preserve but uh, it sounds like in this world there is something in addition to that that runs the personality which soul magic does not preserve you know and as long as the words soul magic are in the sentence like we can just throw up our hands and say i guess it's magic Mm -hmm. so that that's fair and i mean frankly if all it took was being an adept soul mage to make i don't know copies of people or become uh you know immortal or make everyone you care about immortal for a fee or you know, all these things like that's, that shit got excluded a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's some hard limits. I'm, I'm curious if Grack got his hand back though. Cause if so, I wonder why they even bothered waiting for uh solace to grow him a new one. I don't know. I guess we will see. Maybe. Did they, did they take his, when was essentialism done? Yeah. Yeah. That was a falter. That was before he lost his hand. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Maybe I mentioned like, why hand. don't they just use his backup when he lost the hand before? But it's like no, there's well, bones. Well, before and what stuff they did and... it, it was because yeah, you couldn't regrow bones. Maybe you still couldn't regrow bones though. So maybe he is back to his younger body, but he's missing his hand. That's probably it. Okay, maybe it just fell out on the ground. And you can just set it back in, you know, because it's magic. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's like fused into into him anyway, so it didn't even fall out. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, there's no reason. It probably became part of him or something, right? Mm-hmm. But Amaryllis's body's no longer ravaged by having gone through pregnancy. Um, yep. June's, I guess, uh, everyone's a little younger. It's interesting, right? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Amaryllis is the most dramatic because she's spent the most time in the time chamber. But um, well, anyway, and Solus, they didn't have a backup of Solus, so uh, she's stuck in this new. <laughs> yeah, she, large... she's got that. She's got that dude's body, and she's she's yeah. dude about it. But <laughs> I did like that a lot. Um, but we're beating around the bush. In June's thoughts, he says, I'd been thinking quickly, I'd been thinking quick and acting decisively, and we were going to make it through this with little damage to show for it, but I hadn't been acting optimally and in the future. And then he is like going into his soul because he's realized that he didn't have to move around the group to to heal them. So he goes to his soul to look and 
There had been four lines leading away from my soul, and now there were three. One was snipped and waving in the wind, the presentation that the game had chosen for Valencia's soul. And Ven's soul was nowhere to be found. He goes over to try and confirm, and it says, I didn't actually believe she was dead until Sol- until I felt Solace's hand on my shoulder. Even though it ends with, I actually didn't believe she was dead until Solace's hands were on my shoulder trying to comfort me. I didn't believe that she was dead at this point either. I was like, I mean, that's not entirely true. I had a sinking feeling because literally because they resurrected a party member. And when that happens in a story, it kind of cheapens death. It doesn't make it a big deal anymore. Anyone can die. So who cares? But the DM warning was like, it won't be this easy again. And I had trust in Alexander Wales. I know he's a good writer. So I, when that happened with Solus and they got that message, I was on the lookout for, oh God, oh God, oh God. I hope nobody dies because if anybody dies, I don't think they'll come back again. So I had, I had this dread that if anyone dies, dies, they're not coming back. But also, like, I was not convinced yet that Finn was dead, dead. Like, maybe this was a fake out. And so I just kept reading like a crazy motherfucker. Well, importantly, I almost said Harry, uh, June hasn't given up on her, right? He's yes. He's accepted it and he's mm, at peace with it at the end of this reading. But he's not like, okay, and I'm going to let her soul go because that's what she wanted, right? Um, yeah. So there's that. So she might not be forever dead, I guess what I'm saying. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I my first thought was just like still, all right, uh, phase one denial. Um, yeah. But, you know, the game didn't give him a notification. It did not. You know? It's And like. And he says that like the thread that was to her, it's just gone. It wasn't even like flapping in the wind that there were no companion quests for her anymore. They weren't grayed out. They were just gone. Like it was erased like it was, it was super fucked up of the dm yeah erased is worse than getting it crossed out with a red you know red line through it that says failed you know yeah like i'd rather fail that quest than just have it not be there and make the whole thing act like it didn't happen yeah um i so i mean like i said the game the lack of game notification made me contributed to my denial here again it's only because they accepted it after some discussion and then a couple of weeks in the time chamber i'm like okay they're not bringing her back today mm-hmm. um you know, I'm still on board with the idea, especially too. just if if the end zone contains a possible outcome where he becomes the DM, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Exactly. So, you know, now if he really, really has another reason to get to that end zone. Yeah. Step three, become God. Um, exactly. So uh, I did like this a lot where. Um, oh, yeah. No, you pulled it out first where Amaryllis being she does the right thing, but it's still shocking. Yeah, she she used the flicker blade to make a hole in Fen's head and yanks at the soul, puts it into a bottle so she doesn't go to hell's, which I mean it was just it was just so stark and like right in the moment the things you got to do immediately to deal with the dead body were they were jarring. Like we were still coping and trying to process and thank God Amaryllis is there and being like, "Nope, got to get the shit taken care of now. It's not going to wait." Yeah, they have like what 30 minutes before the soul sinks to hell. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know how long I would, I, I probably would have asked someone to keep time, but I mean, I was still thinking, all right, we can, we can still find a way to fix this when Amarillo's goes and stabs her in the head. And so yeah. like, again, she knows what she's doing. It's, it is what happened, but, um, man, uh, anyway, um, she, oh yeah. So she's, Amber, uh, Solace hasn't been healed yet. And. She says, Juniper, we all, breathed, we all breathed it in. The crown purged it, but Solace needs her soul healed so her body can heal too. And so she was gritting her teeth. 
She's my fucking daughter. Heal her now. And I liked that because a, it shows that Emeralds loves her and has maternal attachment. And B, that's a great way to deliver through the urgency. Yeah. You know, like, look, this isn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not just saying hurry up and help. I'm saying you fucking save my daughter right fucking now. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't even like it, it. I hadn't come to the realization that he hadn't like healed solace yet, that he was still in the middle of doing this. And like, just the way he describes the detached sort of numbness and dissociation throughout this chapter, I, I thought it was incredibly well executed. It felt very true to me. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, once again, written like a an expert who's been there and done that. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, okay. like I said, or like you said too, no message from the DM. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not- I I guess you know one reason that maybe the if I'm going to be an asshole DM, um, it's like well. You know, Fen, Fen who? She said she didn't want to be part of the party anymore. Why would she get a notification, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's not defeated. She just died. I don't tell you when everyone dies, June. What do you think? Why would why would she get special privilege? She's not part of the group. Um, Dick. I mean, it could be that, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe that's why she was killed. Um, it occurs to me, too, that, like, maybe she was killed like every one of Uther's romances was. That it wasn't his, like, legal spouse. Oh, shit. She was, she was, yeah, I mean, that. That is what happened, and that was one of the reasons she didn't ever want to hear about narrative, because she was like, fuck this being doomed eternally thing. Because they didn't legally tie the knot, and the DM yeah. is a big stickler for sex outside of wedlock. <laughs> Apparently. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll get answers one way or another. Yeah. But June, again, thinking of the, the DM and narrative, uh, June says we're going to have to bring her back, and Grack asks, are we meant to? And I really kind of hate that that is even a consideration, but it kind of is a consideration, right? Like they, I don't know how much control they have over their own lives. And if they're not meant to do this in the story, is it even possible? I mean, on the one hand, only one way to find out, you know, true. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I'll do my damnedest. And if, if I literally can't, then I'll give up at that point. But yeah. uh, in the wise words of guts from Berserk, fate can fucking go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> this nice. isn't quite a fate argument but it's more just like well are we meant to do this is this supposed to happen it's like who who cares what's supposed to happen yeah you know we'll do i'll it decide anyway. what's supposed to happen yeah oh, damn good point yeah uh palada ch- pledges her life to june and from now until the moment i die uh by the sacred power of my eternal soul i thought that was really a neat thing uh that since her species uh just reincarnates every time they die, they can and sometimes do pledge one life to a person. I thought that was really neat. Like how Hermione's life debt to House Potter is paid because she was technically killed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I pledge my life to you, but that's just the one time, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, it's fun. I, I also like June's response because it's kind of perfect. He just says, fine. Yeah. Like not a thank you, not an okay, we'll call you later or whatever. He, I mean, I, I'm, I get that he didn't because this would take kind of more effort of will than he has right now. But if she kneeled at my feet in this situation was like, I pledge my life to you. Like I'd almost want to kick her in the face. Mm-hmm. Like not because she did anything, but because she was there, she brought me into that house and it killed my girlfriend, et cetera. But like, again, whenever I talk about like, I would be violent. I, I remember we had a conversation about how I thought Amarillo should slap Fen and we, <laughs> I had to like try and explain, like, I'm not saying I would, I'm saying I'd understand if she did. Right. And I would understand here if June did that. 
even though it's not his style, um, I would forgive him for it, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't, he just, he, you know, just at this point, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, fine, whatever. Great. And not even going through the trouble of thinking to to himself, like I'll have my people call your people, you know? Right. He's just Um, like this point kind of, kind of just like numb and doesn't care. And it's like, fine, whatever. Yeah. I suppose if she was a capital C companion, we would know by the end of the reading because he spent, you know, two weeks in that time chamber. There's no way he didn't look at his soul. Um, yeah, but so, sometimes they don't get the notifications immediately either because they were like with Bethel for subjectively for them months. For her, it was a number of hours. And Grack, I think, was a day or two before they got him as a companion. Something like that. It might have been actually when they first like talked to them. I can't remember. But you're with Bethel for sure. So it's not like when you first meet, but I'm saying like, I, I was wondering, like, well, actually, this is a dumb question now that I think about it. I was wondering if someone can pledge their life to him and not become a capital C companion. But I would assume so. Yeah, now that I think about it, like, Uther probably had hundreds of, of knights, you know, yeah. of like, and not, not of his capital N knights, but of right. military. Yeah. Yeah. So I want your read on this. They, 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 I mean, we can, we'll talk. Well, there's a lot of Fen stuff. So we don't, I'm not rushing past it because it's going to be the rest of the episode, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they take off, they go back to the, to the house and Bethel, I can't tell if she's being a cunt or just trying to make a friendly joke. She says, pleasant trip. And like, does she not see how bloody everyone is and how Fen isn't with them? She might not have thought that the Fen, I mean, Fen might not be with them for a number of reasons. Doesn't necessarily mean she's dead, but they're all but yeah, covered in all this blood that they're all throwing up all over themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's all bloody and haggard. I think she's definitely doing some sort of sarcasm i i jokey sort of i don't i i don't want to call her a cunt but she i don't think that she was like thinking that they had a pleasant trip yeah that's why like She's, you know it, maybe it was she like was... her way of asking what happened what's wrong well she needs to work on her manners yeah uh, you know like and i get it she's not a person whatever but like if she wants us to treat her like a person she can treat people like people and you know it's so for her to like model maybe grief, well, no, she understands that because she enjoyed torturing all those people for all those centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the fun of torturing somebody is watching them scream when they you kill their friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume if you're a psychopathic house, um, I don't know. I just kind of wish that they could sacrifice Bethel and part of the ritual to re- bring back Fen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure she'll win me over, or she won't, and she'll die in a way that satisfies my bloodlust for her. But um, one way or another, it'll work out. Uh, I mean, she does seem to show genuine like loss at the at the service they give for her. So, yeah. Um, she yeah, and she gets yelled at by Amaryllis for not being there because she probably could have prevented Fen from dying. I think she probably would have. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um. And I mean, like, I understood her reasoning, and I don't think you can retroactively call a choice wrong if it was the right choice at the time. But I would still have a very hard time not being very bitter at battle Bethel for quite a while for for not being there yeah it'd be tough not to blame her i mean you know ropey was presumably here or with them and he didn't help like drag people out it's not clear how much leverage he has but like he could have grabbed you know fen's ankle from one hand and like swung the rest of his body towards the door or something but like while hooking the like i say one hand one end of him could wrap around fen's ankle the other part could grab like a table leg and then he just whips it Mm. um but, you know, I don't know if that level of of thinking is available to um, to Ropey. 
For yeah. all we know, maybe that poison, maybe some nonsense, and they're also like turned off all sentient entads for the time that they were in the room or something. So it's entirely possible that if Bethel went, she would have just like flickered out the second she walked through the threshold. Then again, that would have been a good heads up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I Amaryllis puts it really well. She says she died if you had, she died, and if you had been there, she would have lived. And yeah. Bethel, I'm not a weapon for you to wield, Pendrag. And Amaryllis, perfect reply. Would it be too much to ask you ask for you to be a fucking friend then? Yeah. Um. I mean, I get where you're coming from. You know, I under I understood her reasoning because she doesn't want to be told what to do. Meh. And she wants to be a house. Um. Like I I get that, but again, it's like, are you going to be a friend or part of this group? Or are you like really going to be a place for us to put our stuff? Yeah. Like. If if you want to be a place for our stuff, great. But then I'm kind of done talking to you, right? Yeah. I we have a place to put our stuff. It's called the glove, like, <laughs> right? I, I mean, know. I guess she's also a defensible fortress. Yeah, I mean, so she, she has a purpose, but you know, and this is the thing too. I mean, Bethel has never been anything but hostile to Amaryllis, mm-hmm. and even in this, you know, Amaryllis June's not the only one going through stuff, and we get some wonderful beats of that, but. Uh, even while Amaryllis is dealing with possibly a mental affliction that makes her angry and grief, she's like, can you be a fucking friend to us then? Um, yeah. You know, to, to this house that's been nothing but a, you know, but mean to her and shat on her family line every chance that she gets. Yeah. Bethel better. She'll, she'll, she'll come around eventually, probably. <laughs> well, we will see. Yeah. Uh, so June tells Valencia to take the devil out because he wants to talk to her without it. And Valencia says, I can't. Uh, she's almost ended whimper. If I did, we would fight and I wouldn't be able to defend myself. And she's scared of June. And I think that's understandable. Uh, but it also sucks that that she feels scared of him. So I wanted to, to ask you about that because I'm, uh, I'm curious. Why do you say that, I guess, A, that it sucks and that she's scared of June? Like, what's she afraid of? That she'll have to talk to him without being a master class liar? That... She she doesn't have any um any social or psychological defenses of her own. She's been, you know, in a cage her entire life up until a few months ago. He he would rip into her verbally and emotionally, and she would not be able to do anything except get shredded. Mm, I mean, if he went over the top, someone would step in, and if he could validate that she actually did take, you know, remove the devil, then when she did collapse crying, he would, I think his feelings would kick on and he'd be like, okay, sorry. You know, I don't know. I, I feel like, and if she's, if she doesn't have any social skills or psychology to fall back on, that's just more, you know, evidence, or I guess more support for the fact that she is not becoming her own person enough. Um, she doesn't, if she doesn't have any of these skills herself and they're all come from hell, like she, she needs to develop her own psychology. I mean, yeah, she does. Absolutely. But I mean, that's a lot like saying to somebody who, I don't know, is is very weak for whatever reason, has just been recently in an accident or, or sick, and on the other side of a glass door from them is someone who's just absolutely enraged with him, some big, angry dude, and he's like, open the fucking door, and you're like, no, I, I, I don't blame them for not opening the door because they don't have those defenses and they don't want to be hurt. Yeah, if he wanted to go over and whoop her ass, he could because she's got a devil. She doesn't have a uh, a demon right now. Yeah, like, he could whip her ass physically, but he doesn't want to whip her ass physically. He wants to tear into her 
psychologically. And I, th- I think that's he just why she's to, not taking down that. I think she just wants to ask because he just and he doesn't have the energy to fight it. He just says fine, whatever, and leaves. But mm. like, I I think that he wants to ask and know that he's getting real answers. And she's like, no, I'm I'm scared and like. I, I don't well, know. For I, me, I'm just thinking, okay, you're either clinging to the evil of the devil to like run from your grief or you're keeping up the facade because you intentionally let Fen die. That was, that was my thought at the time. I think you're right that what he wants is to ask her a question, but I am also very convinced that in the heat of the moment with what's happened, it would turn very quickly into him shredding her verbally and she would have absolutely no defenses for it at all. I mean, she could always pick up a devil if she needed one, if he was, like, going to be an asshole about it. Or, you know, again, Grack, sure would, step, Grack would step in or Solace would step in and say, look, chill out, you know, something, something. Unless, I think he'd only really get mad if she said, yeah, I let Fen die, right? Um, in which case, she should be uh, scared of being yelled at. Um, <laughs> but, but I see what you're saying. I, I think what it is is that, you know, we've got essentially – you know, a young woman without a lot of her own volition and, you know, again, psychological foundation. And she's like, what, you want me to give up like my ability to like keep my mind safe and kind of control the situation? Absolutely not. So I get where she's coming from. I really do. And it sucks because like, I think that she probably didn't let Fen die on purpose. Um, Like not in so many words, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or not so directly. So like, I, I get that. And so all of this suspicion is obviously triggering and sad and all that stuff but it's just like sorry it's part of the game we've all got shit pal like once in a while we'll have to ask you to prove that you're not possessed that will believe you most of the time because we're not falliter but yeah you know you start you start driving the sus bus we're gonna ask you to, to pull over and swallow a soul and take a polygraph test for us yeah so they they end up deciding to uh take some time in the time chamber just to rest off their mental afflictions that they got from the crown mm-hmm. which I forget what the crown does. Like it keeps you safe from stuff. Maybe it's even poisons in particular, but it gives yeah, you it, a curse. Yep. Removes the poison, gives you a mental affliction. <laughs> it, of course it's poison. This all seems too neat. Um, but not, that's not Val's fault. That's just, you know, contrivance of the narrative stuff. Right. But anyway, so June's mental affliction is bad dreams and Grax's mania, which like, don't get me wrong, those can suck, but those are both pretty mild mental afflictions, if you ask me. Uh, I if they, I, I figured they'd kind of maybe scale with the amount of poison they fixed or something. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I would think, all right, mental affliction, like, I don't know, you're psychotically raged, enraged for two straight weeks because I cured like soul poison, right? Now, if you're if you're a little hungover, then yeah, you get a bad dream that night. Like that seems fair. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I don't know. I think that it, they may very well not be a thing that scales. You just get a random affliction for when that poison is removed. And sometimes right. you get lucky, sometimes you don't. But also, like, I don't think those are that benign. Like, bad dreams, they can leave you, like, with severe insomnia and unable to sleep and just dreading having to go to bed every single night. It They can be very bad. And mania, definitely. Like, Grack is lucky that he was locked in a room for two weeks because... I, I it, if you've met someone with actual real mania when they're in a manic episode, you can fuck your life up hard. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that either of these are positives. And, and mania is uh, scary when like the person comes down from it, or if you're watching them watching someone else go through it. But I'm just thinking like if a cursed artifact gave me a 
gave me mania for a couple of weeks and I had a safe environment to, to tone it down or it gave me bad dreams. Like I could live with that. Like there are all kinds of psychological disorders. Um, I forget this, the one's name, but basically you think everyone in your life has been replaced by an imposter. Yeah. Um, that's a mental affliction. If, you know, if you're rolling the dice and getting fucked that, you know, that's one of the ones near the top. Um, I don't want to, is it really, you know. is it really that much worse than mania though? If it's just something that lasts for two weeks, I mean, you have no, he, so Grout had, Grack had bouts of mania, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if I was convinced everyone around me was replaced by an evil imposter and I happened to live in a world where that was actually distinctly plausible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be worse. I would probably kill them. Like, I don't know. You know, it, yeah, I, they, a lot of it was mitigated by the fact that they were able to lock themselves away from the world immediately. Because yeah, it, with with Mania, like Grack, he's got a loving support network around there that would around him that would probably hold him down and put him in a room. But uh, if 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 you don't have that, you can just ruin your life, end up in jail, end up without a house or any possessions and savings anymore. It's it's it can be bad shit. Yeah. Again, I wasn't trying to mitigate it. I guess I was just thinking that uh, maybe yeah, the DM like gave them somewhat like he didn't hit them with the hardest hard balls he could have. Right. It wasn't screaming psychosis. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's not the part that's worth deliberating or belaboring as long as I insisted. Sorry about that. But hey, no worries. Um, so I wanted to just point out that. So I guess. Oh, yeah. They're taking shifts. Uh, it's going to be Grack and June in the time chamber first. And Grack is the best roommate for this. Um, mm-hmm. Like he, he insists he's been through this. Yeah. yeah, he's been through this. He insists that they eat and hang out and do stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he and like you said, he can relate. He he can absolutely relate to being sort of responsible for the death of people that he cares about. Yeah, um, you know. So I think it's after it's like their first night in there or something, and he's like, "We're going to play this game." And June's like, "Is this your idea of helping? Like, it's not going to help." And he says, "Not helping you, helping me." Yeah. And it's easy to forget that they were really close too. Yep. Um, and he's he's super patient, which is something June personally desperately needs. He he doesn't do well with people trying to help him, and just being there and being patient and like helping in little ways and being available to listen is it's exactly what June needs, and that's totally Grack's personality. So it works very well. June's a lot better at it now than he was. Definitely. Um, Actually, I guess it's worth pointing out, too, that he's also got the grief-stricken affliction. So mm-hmm. if he's being a little, you know, curt and unpleasant, well, he's got negative two. He's got minus two social right now. So, you know, who can yeah. blame him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, he, I, I, oh, but, but he, he does, I think, do his part to help comfort Grack, too. Like, he's he's grown a lot from the guy that he was. He has. that. that I, I pulled something out specifically later to comment on. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you. This has been a big change for him. Or, he's changed a lot since since Arthur. Yeah. Uh, he does say, upon reflection, that uh, Fen was a reflection of me in a few ways, including some of my worst impulses, and seeing those in her was affirming. There were times when she said exactly what I was thinking, even if it was nothing that I would have actually said out loud. And... Uh, I also like that a lot about Finn, how she was not, she was not nearly as uh, full of fucks to give. <laughs> she she would just do the things. And I've had a number of people like that in my life. And I always have really appreciated that. She even reminds me of Wes a bit from the other podcast I do. 
And uh, I don't think Wes would appreciate that because he is a fan hater. But they're mm-hmm. they're totally similar in that regard. We're just like, fuck you. I'm going to say what I want and be honest. And uh, you have to deal with it. I agree. I think that that is a, a cool trait. Like that said, she often didn't say things that like were worth saying. Um, yeah. Now, there there is the cool thing that she does about like not worrying about the, well, would it be impolite to point out that like, you know, this horrifying, like, you know, when they first met the murder hobos uh, at the, in their fortress, hey, I don't going to explain what like this fucking monster is or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she puts it. Um, Amaryllis, I'd be like, and who's our guest sitting over here? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, so she doesn't beat around the bush and that's, that's awesome. And she you cuts know, through the bullshit. Right. And other times, you know, she cuts through the bullshit to insert her own shit, but you right. know, it's that that's part of her character too. I think exactly. that would be Wes's contention is that he's like, yeah, I cut through the bullshit, but everything I say is valuable. <laughs> that sounds just like what Ben would say. <laughs> so what, what do you say to that Wes? Yeah. I I said that, and I, I hope that came off as, as well-intended as I meant it to, because I could imagine you saying that on The Mind Killers, which I enjoy listening to every fortnight. Um, so this is, uh, we were talking about um, ways that he's grown. So he uh, he's sitting there staring down at the stew that Grack made, and he says, after Arthur had died, I'd fuck things up. One of the ways I'd fuck things up had been by pushing people away and laying claim to grief at the expense of everyone else. Tiff had tried to tell me that she was in pain and I'd brushed her aside, telling her that it was nothing compared to what I felt. That was a dick move, no matter what I'd been feeling or how much I needed to say it so I could not have to hate myself or so I could not hate myself. Um, And then he looks up from that and says to Grack, tell her, tell me about her. Yeah. And yeah, this great example of him growing and, and then they talk about her and really a lot of this chapter was uh, basically a remembrance of Fen, a wake for Fen. Uh, for Fen in in within the story, and it was really needed. I thought. Yeah, I, I can't imagine if you know. So that that's again kind of like the last time they used the time chamber. You know, it lets us fast track something that should take a long time, and it's not mm-hmm. like they're they're over it when they come out. But yeah, they're not having to like imagine if they had to go to the next thing, still in shock and reeling from this. They would hate it, and so would we. Yeah, it's like no, no, take a minute. You know. Yeah. Um. There was yeah, like a. Boromir in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf dies. He's like, give them a moment for pity's sake. You know, it's like, well, we can't, you know, there's orcs coming and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I, and to be clear, Boromir was the one calling for, you know, let's respect their feelings and have a moment of, of, you know, collection. And it was Aragorn's pragmatism being the Amaryllis of the group saying, we have to keep going. Yeah. Um, We're going to die. Don't right. be a dumbass. Yeah. But that would have, that would, that wouldn't have been fun for us or them. So. Right. Yeah, I'm gl- I'm glad we got this. It was like I said, needed. Um, yeah, he does as he's speaking with Drac unlock the Groglier language, which he says is a small spike of pleasure slipping through the grief. And I don't know, I, I felt I felt kind of sad about that. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about the. So he has the language skill, right? Yes, it is and now so, two. So I guess it goes up one per language, which sounds wild. Um, that's and, how it worked in original D anD D as well. I don't oh, know how many other games. Yeah, for but every then, like, one point you got in it, you got one language. But then, like, what? Uh, what do you get when you get ten? You don't get like a perk, maybe. Uh, maybe it takes less time to learn new languages. I don't know. But 
I don't know how, so at least essentialism go to a hundred, unless there's a hundred languages, which doesn't sound like they're all worth learning, then this is a pretty useless skill, especially with that translation tattoo. But um, I think there may have been a hundred languages on earth at some point. Uh, there probably are on Arab. Oh, there's definitely a hundred languages on earth, but I'm just thinking like they're probably not all worth learning if there's ways around it. But anyway, Wait, is there a hundred languages on earth? If If we're not counting dialects, just straight up languages? I suspect maybe we can Google it now or later, but uh, yeah, I want a lot have died out over the last century. Okay. We're doing it. How <laughs> many roughly 6,500 languages are spoken in the world today, but that sounds like, uh, that sounds like too high. Yeah. So this one says 22. Um, that sounds more reasonable. Oh no, wait. Yeah. According to several things I'm seeing here, they're in the range of 7,000 languages spoken by people around the world. Now, if that's like the only language these people know, probably not. That um, seems massively high. I didn't even know that there were that many isolated tribes left on the, on the earth. I wouldn't think so either. I guess that's like the number of languages like that are around. And, you know, I didn't read, I didn't click any of those. I just read the headlines. So we'll yeah. get to realize that later. But here's the thing about the unlocking Groglier is that he felt a small uh, spike of, he, he felt shame at feeling the small spike of pleasure yeah. coming through his grief. Sorry, did I not say the shame part? No. Oh, I'm, I, that was the, the most important part. I'm sorry. I totally missed saying that. Oh no, you're good. Um, it's, but yeah, I, I wanted to, and maybe you did and I missed it, but I wanted to shine a light on it just because, uh, Grack, I think hits the nail on the head. Um, so I think he, Oh, he tells, he, he, June tells him, yeah, I just unlocked Groglier. So he's like, Oh, well that's the timing is, you know, auspicious, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. Grack says it's appropriate to, Oh, he's like, Oh yeah, maybe it's the, um, Fen introduced him to, a. Elvish term for the game that he picked up and is now continuing to use. Um, but washiter, washiter. It's he says maybe it's the you know the the washiter of the game trying to cheer me up, not really helping. But Grack, being you know wise as fuck, he says it's appropriate to take joy in a gift even in foul times. Yeah, and uh, I think this is a little down the road. Um, but he says uh, June's saying I don't I don't want to break down. She wouldn't want me to. It's just so so hard to think about being happy and grack says i know and god does he um it feels like betrayal he wiped a tear away of his own think about what she would have wanted and fuck man this guy gets it um i mean think about it you know he we talked about this when we learned what happened to his uh um tribe clan uh right but the guy can enjoy meals and sex and jokes while carrying all of that shit right yeah so he's realized that no, you have to allow yourself to experience happiness even while grieving. And I assume it's, it's not the same kind of enjoying as if you don't have that shit on you because there's always that thing in the back. It's, I mean, it would be like uh, chronic pain. Similarly, I guess there, you can still enjoy those things, but in the back, there's still that laying that little, that heaviness over your life. And I don't know. In my it's experience, just the thing you accumulate as you get older, I guess it could be. I think in my experience, that's not a bad analogy. I mean, I don't know how old, 10, 12 years ago, I hurt my back. And like, so it's, it's been basically a a daily thing for the last decade plus. Um, But it's, it barely blips on my radar for most parts of most days. It's just like, I'm careful when I put on my shoes or load the dishwasher or whatever, but like, I don't give it a ton of attention. And maybe that's kind of what it's like to cope with grief after a while. It's like, yeah, it never goes away, but like, you just get really you become very accustomed to carrying it and it 
becomes manageable. The key yeah. is like not to make your life about it. Right. And it's hard. Um, and again, I'm not an expert at grief. I'm more talking about chronic pain. Um, right, right, right. But, you know, so, you know, you don't ignore it too much because then you hurt yourself, but you don't like mm-hmm. center your whole attention on it all the time because then it consumes your life. So, yeah, and I'm assuming grief might be similar. I like the analogy a lot. And the closer it is to the initial injury, the, you know, the, the, the pain is really intense at first. It takes, oh, yeah. it takes some time. And the skills to, to manage it are, aren't trained yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's perfect. Grack uh, points out that we are alike in the fact that they both got this morning thing going on. And uh, June, you know, he thinks that they're not, they're not quite alike because Grack has lost his whole clan. But he says that if I did understand, then the impossible task was a way of living with himself, uh, a way of keeping the memory of his dwarf hold alive and devoting himself to them. And under a certain kind of lens, I had maybe done the same when Arthur had died, which uh, I guess that was, you know, part of what we were talking about just now. But uh, the reason I reiterated it is because Grax said we are alike, which is the second time in this chapter that companions have been framed as reflections of June or aspects of June or something. And I kind of think this is not a coincidence. I think you're, when I saw that, I think that... I must have put it on the back burner because I somehow have thoughts on this for like his companions other than the doe, because I don't understand if I stretch, maybe it's like he, the doe is more of a contrast, but like Amaryllis might be his ruthless pragmatism. Yep. Yep. His rationalist side. Right. Well, his, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, I was going to say that's almost straw Vulcany, but it's not because she still has feelings a lot and that's great. Um, yeah. but the, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Fen was like his avoidance and trying to joke around things rather than facing them. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I was, I was going to put, put it to you this way. Like who is Val? Who is shit? That's a good question. She's, she's a person hiding behind other people, like whatever, um, using, I mean, I don't want to just say the phrase, you know, person hiding behind masks, but that's basically who she yeah. is. And there's no one. Yeah, no, you're right. Yet. There's there's yep. a person there, but she's not really letting herself be that person. Yeah. And so that's kind of another similar issue that June had. Of course, we can all kind of relate to all these things. Right. Which is part of the genius of, of fiction, that if yeah. it's done well, you can relate. That's true. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, look, it's a perfect fit for June and nobody else because June's so, you know, uh, hard to relate to or something. But because we can relate to him, we can relate to all these um, reflections of him. Yeah, Bethel strikes me as very much the angry June beating up the dude who said uh, God has a plan kind of aspect. Like she's the rage and vengeance part of June. I forgot she was a companion. And I think you're absolutely right. That's a fucking perfect uh, point there. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think this is something to keep an eye on at the very least. Yeah, totally. Especially since we still have one companion that has not been announced yet. Does it mean something that an aspect of June in the form of Fen has been removed now? Is that is so maybe he's not going to do the kind of avoidance thing anymore because he's not he's looking right at his feelings and he's talking about them right away, you know? Yeah. Um god, I sure hope his companions don't die when quote he doesn't need them anymore unquote. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that I also wonder now too, is he going to get back up to 8 nights or is he I guess so. Yeah. Fen, on as far as his sheet is concerned, wasn't on there. Yeah. Fuck that. So I guess I was curious because he only had one slot left, right? Yeah. But now it's two. So he can still get Princess Bubblegum and Raven. Ho, ho. But 
I don't know if those will be the two, but I'm assuming that it's not like, again, if I was the DM and I wanted to make it clear to the person using the interface that yes, you had, you had a max of eight companions. Now it's a max of seven because you let one die. I would leave the little string there and put a big red X on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and if I was an asshole, I'd just say you suck. Like that's the, <laughs> the so, yeah, you'd zoom in on it and like the X would just be really fine print that says you suck over and over. Um, mm. So mm. I'm guessing he, he can get back up to eight, but I guess we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. And, and he said, he says out loud, I don't want to wrap myself in dark feelings. And that was the line that I pulled out as my example of him having grown because that's the opposite of what he did when Arthur died. So he's, he's, he has learned things over this time period. He has. And he, he's not just like behaving a little differently. He's fully just talking about it with somebody and, Mm -hmm. and doing it, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, I'm glad that he's, I don't know if he's going to give himself like the recognition it deserves, but he's come a long way. You know, he was worried um, at the end of last chapter, like, great, I'm back right where I was when I left Kansas, right? Yeah. Uh, everyone's going to hate me. It's going to be all this and that. And um, I think he had said something like, yeah, he even got to escape to a fantasy land and all of his things is, you know, all of his problems are still there. Um, mm-hmm. And there might be some moral to that for the story, but I was like, no, man, he's better than that. And look, here he is. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure you knew, but you couldn't. You couldn't say actually, yeah, Stephen, you're right because <laughs> <laughs> there's been so many times I could have said that in the course of our recording. And like, like I said, there's many pants pooping moments. For you know, I, I if someone's, I hope no one's keeping score. Not because I'm worried about the ratio, but because it must be tediously boring. But I guess a lot of things. So you know, if I if I happen to seem like I guess right, you know, it's probably like one in ten. But that's oh, the, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just throw out lots of guesses, so some of them are bound to land. But. That's true, but I think your ratio is pretty darn good. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, he oh, this is just a quick thing to I guess to touch, touch on. Uh, he does say that he wished Grack couldn't see him while he's crying, and I just I don't know. I wanted to comment. That I think that's a human universal to feel ashamed to be seen crying. I'm not sure why exactly that is, but. Maybe because it's just so undignified and ugly and stuff. But I think there's a reason that everyone instinctively covers their face when they cry. Crying is so interesting because, uh, you know, part of it is, yeah, it's undignified or something. And yet, like, not in every case. Um, you know, I remember, like, Andrew Yang, when he was running, uh, it was like some small, because that was, you know, the crowds they attracted were small, but it was some small group of people. And one of them asked about, like, school shooting something, something, and I think her son was uh, killed in a school shooting and he cried and hugged her. And like, that was awesome. You know, maybe some pundit could say, look at how undignified and emotional he is, but I thought it was, you know, amazing. Um, But I guess just like ugly, ugly crying or was it like a, I mean, I don't want to say like, Oh, it's only a few tears. It doesn't count. It was the, it was the stoic crying. Um, Yeah. It wasn't, he was not, uh, and I'll use the phrase from American dad. He was not bitch crying. Uh, like like Jesus. sobbing like no no and it, it's <laughs> it's not used as a pejorative it's used as like um so the daughter has like this adopted son that she is just like oh my god he's so cute i love him so much so like mm-hmm. and then they're trying to take like a home video and the mom's like Haley, your bitch crying is going to be the background of this whole thing um mm-hmm. so she wasn't like being sad it was being like overwhelmed with cute right gotcha okay um, so but it was still ugly crying the you know the face contorting all that stuff 
But yeah. no, I think I think I think Yang's was uh, composed. But yeah. it's also not clear why we cry. Um, it you know it it makes sense that there's some signal to like indicate I'm sad. But a why isn't it controllable? Kind of like you know a smile. And b why do our eyes water? As far as I know, I well as I as far as I know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm maybe maybe it's out there and I someone can I can Google it, but I haven't looked into it for a long time and I didn't find it when I last looked. So. So first of all, I want to um, fight with you on the ability to control our facial expressions. When you said like you can control a smile, it can be really, really fucking hard to control a smile. That is a thing that may take a lot of practice and still is and you still fail at because I know I had problems with that a lot. And nowadays, I just don't have to worry about it because I'm like, fuck it, if I'm happy, I'll smile. But uh, that can be really tough to do, especially when like if you have one of those things where you smile sometimes at inappropriate times that's when it really gets mortifying right no i i understand and you make a good point there's um uh, i think it's a youtube channel called like college humor or something but they'll do like where the people are reading from the teleprompter that they haven't seen before and every time they they laugh or smile they lose a point oh cool and so it's just about trying to make them laugh um, yeah so yeah you're right those are hard to control too but the thing about like crying runs away from you in a way that like a smile doesn't laughter occasionally yeah. does but it never lasts as long as a good sob fest which is unfair uh, yeah, yeah but i still don't know why people's eyes water uh but i don't know yeah i don't know we'll, we'll figure it out okay um, so they're like he's thinking all right i didn't you know uh, so Grax says think about what you would have wanted and he's like yeah. I, I hated that when people asked me about that arthur it never helped but with fen you know she would want to be alive <laughs> and, you know it was almost yeah. a joke um yeah she would say something she'd say something witty yeah. Greg says she would order you to wait a week before getting another girlfriend, <laughs> which it was a very good time for a sad lol. I, it, was. it was true and it was perfect. And I laughed even though it was sad. And yeah, Grax yeah, was. it was perfect. And it's probably accurate. Actually, it was accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wait, because she gets to talk to us from beyond the grave. How cool is that? Um, mm. Yeah, I do in my notes that I have some somewhat, somewhat seriously. Um, well, I guess I'm serious in my sentiment, but I don't know how seriously one can receive this advice. Joked with my wife that she has to wait at least two days until, uh, you know, she hooks up with somebody unless somebody really hot falls into her lap. Right. Yeah. So like if it's one of the, uh, Chris's from the Marvel movies, then yeah, go wild. And that thing doesn't a- fall in your lap every day, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, just cause it's only 46 hours and you know, if Chris Hemsworth is DTF. I'm not going to tell her to say no. Come on. That's not fair. Yeah. She needs that to help process the grief. Right. Yeah. There's a good line like that. Speaking of adventures in uh, Endgame, in the beginning, Tony thinks he's going to die in space and he's leaving a recording for Pepper, assuming that she ever gets the recording and she wasn't killed. Um, and he says, like, something about if you want to move on or actually, you know, if you want to, like, like grieve for a while, then move on with terrible guilt or something like he, he took the joke the <laughs> other way. Yeah. Um, but he was still clearly joking. Yeah. Um, I this is uh Another just Grack-ism that if I was one for tattooing things on myself, this might be... Uh, well, this isn't actually the best thing ever, but he says... Uh, well, as far as a tattoo, but it's the best thing ever that he says. Grack says, it's possible that your, art, your heart will always have a gap. I'm a, I'm a bad person to be speaking with. I can't, give, I can't give you good advice. And Ju says, thank you. Thank you for coming in, for dinner, for being here, for trying at least. And Grack shrugs, shrugs and says, we're friends. Um and it's like, come on, God, right in the feels, you know, mm-hmm. it's touching as hell. And it's a nice reminder too that, you know, June's a, not just not alone, but he's not 
grieving alone either. Yeah. Yeah. And he's letting people in this time. Are you shitting me? Mm-hmm. He's Come on. handling this in such a much healthier way. Yeah. Which is important because people going to die. Um, he, he says, it's not just thinking about her that's getting to me. It's thinking about the thinking and thinking about thinking about thinking. And I just want to bury myself in something so I don't have to feel anything. And I feel guilty for wanting that. And I feel embarrassed for feeling guilty. And I have no idea whether that's what other people would feel. And this is the point where I thought, you know, this is kind of the the purpose of of the book. It feels like to me, like this is the most important chapter because at least so far, and I don't know, maybe for the whole book, depending on how things go, because like this is the chapter that it feels like Alexander Wales wanted to write. This is the chapter zero that happened on Earth with with uh, June and Arthur. This is the pain that he is dealing with and the grief of dealing with it. And like that was the objective, but you can't open the book with that because we don't know June. We don't know Arthur. None of it would be personal to us as readers. It doesn't have any emotional impact if if what you want to say is what you lead with. So instead, he kind of hints at it. And, you know, everyone has some similar experiences that they can associate with it. So they feel sympathy. And he writes an amazing book that draws us in for 116 chapters. So we really get to know these people. And then he brings us right back here, right back to chapter zero, where the thing that happens is the amazing best friend dies, and now you have to deal with it. And and it's just great, because Worth the Candle told us, like, from the very first few pages of the first chapter, this is what this story is going to be about. Uh, this is what I'm promising you're going to feel eventually. And then it delivered exactly on that. And, like, it was... It was done so subtly, I didn't even notice that that was both the promise and that it was going about being delivered. And I just think this this whole work up to here, it's it's a literary victory that he pulled this off. I'm glad you pulled that out because that's, again, the kind of reading comprehension I don't have. Um, you know, you're right. The book can't open with, and here's a stranger and he's very sad. Um, instead, it it brings in a guy with, a, you know, with no context, throws him out of a plane and... <laughs> sneaks in a little, like you said, teases it along the way. Um, I'm going to say some sad stuff for like 30 seconds. So skip ahead if you're not in a position to listen to that, talking to one person in particular, Um, maybe two. Uh, All right. Do you know why I've been like Uther standing this whole time and like defending Arthur nonstop? Yeah. If I, if I, yeah, yeah, I, well, it, I mean, from, from the beginning of the story, I had suspected that I would have an Arthur before the story ended. Yeah. And uh, it did a really good job. Um, you know, he tackles the grief, I think, really well. Um, and so, like, and, and it was clear, too, and, and June was doing the same thing where, you know, he's he even and he acknowledges, you know, the rose-colored glasses a couple of times. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think I mentioned at some point that I wasn't able to be objective about like, is Uther a bad guy? Um, but that's, I, I guess that was just the thought I wanted to get out that this chapter finally made me want to mention. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's thir- the 30 seconds I allotted myself. We'll maybe touch on more heavy stuff later, unless I, I'll, I'm happy to receive anything you wanted to say too. I'm, uh, yeah, no, that was, I mean, I, I knew the background behind it and yeah, I was, 
I was worried with the timing being what it was, but I'm glad it hasn't been very bad to be reading this right now. No, I, I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, it was an interesting experience going in. Um, but you know, it's beautiful fiction. And, you know, if you happen to read it at a time that's actually like significant to your life, all, all the better. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, Hey, let's, let's touch on this. Um, they play ranks and, uh, and it's a system of setting up rules and then trying to guess those rules by doing experiments on the game. And, uh, one of the examples that we are given is June asks when two Fox tokens are next to each other, what happens? And I just thought that ranks sounds very much like petals around a rose, the game. If, if, you know, you could make your own rules like Petals Around the Rose every single time, and the game was to figure out what those rules are and to make more and more devious rules. It would be that it's sort of a fun sounding game. Yeah, the the premise was like, you know, here's how the game works. Somebody is leading the game, and that person invents this set of convoluted rules, and you all play with like whatever's available, if it's stones or tokens with you know things on them or whatever. And you guys, you guys all aren't really competing with each other but you're trying to figure it out first you know there's no like ability to really to sabotage i guess but it's a it's a thinky game yeah which is great for uh passing the time he talks about cookie clickers june does right and this is the exact opposite so um good on him and good on right. Greg for having a a great you know way to keep your brain engaged the fucking genius make it be something that you have to concentrate on enough that other intrusive thoughts can't come in yeah totally i guess we can wrap up the chapter um I guess they only spent a week. I thought it was two for some reason, but it closes with him thinking about what the plan was with Fen. And basically he says, okay, well, there's nothing I can do now, but I've got what, three years till this thing dissolves in the jar, the soul. So I'll keep building up my powers and capabilities, figure out a way to extract someone from the hells or turn the hells into a paradise. And then I can work on a plan that can be enacted the moment that she shows up in the hells. Um, yeah. And I like that. And it's not a bad idea. No, it's, I mean, especially again, if you can make the hell is awesome, then, you know, tight. Yeah. Um, if you wake up and it's heaven, who cares if, you know, it used to be hell, it's heaven now. Yeah. The other thing that just that made me think of is that it made me wonder if hell is because I've, I've had this suspicion. I think I mentioned last episode that hell is just full of pea zombies. Mm hmm. And I've, I've had the same suspicion ever since Volatile was like souls can't cross the plane plane barrier. And I was like, what? Yeah. Right. Mm. So. If Fen went there, then it would just be a Fen-shaped meat suit that was yelling in pain, right? Um, mm -hmm. But if June goes there, presumably he'll not be a philosophical zombie. Mm -hmm. So he'll be like the only person in the place with, with the lights on inside, or I'm wrong about how it all works. Um, especially if he bumps into any of his friends down there. But yeah, I mean, the My thing about pea zombies is you can't tell if they're pea zombies. That's Yeah, that's true. But I can like tell that I'm not one. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So if you even if you were to bump into Fen, and you know she could be like, "Oh my God, it's you!" But like, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? you know, yeah, fake Fen. So I mean, <laughs> my assumption would be since you know souls can't cross the planar boundary, maybe, and June has one that uh, either either I'm wrong about this idea that there are only pea zombies in hell, or else June is not going to die in the course of the book and doesn't ever end up in hell. So. Like I have maybe fifty percent confidence about the P zombie scenario, and those were those were my two my two major possibilities. I think either they are P zombies and June won't get to hell, or they aren't P zombies. I think you did a good job. Uh, like early in the book, like right after he checks the hell diver box, 
Um, mm-hmm. You were like, oh, no. You, you kept talking about how like he'd go to hell and it wouldn't be a big deal or like you know, his story would keep him going on. And I'm like, no, he'd be dead. And, like, Why would he still have a game layer in hell? He'd just be tortured. Mm-hmm. But I think you're, from the point of view of like, and this isn't like your future sight, just like your ability to actually read, you're like, why would they make that an option if they're not going to do anything with it? You know, yeah. what What kind of story would it be if he died? And like, yep. And then things sucked forever. The end. Like, yeah. you know, so um, I see where you're coming from on that. And uh, I, I one day, one way or another, we'll find out either he'll become DM and he'll be able to verify before he fixes it or he'll go to hell or he'll either go there through the front door or, you know, where everyone goes when they die or he'll go through the back door when he kicks the doors in to go start, you know, cutting demons in half. So fucking hell. Yes. That's what All I'm right. talking about. Yeah, hell yes. I think that was a pun, everybody. Oh, no, that was not. That was not intended as a pun anyway. <laughs> we're, we're, we're sinking into you, Nyash. <laughs> no, it's a common expression. <laughs> I think uh, you're t- trying to deceive us. Chapter 120. Oh, no. Deceptions. Hey, good tie-in. So I felt so seen. My people have finally been recognized. We don't get enough representation in fiction. <laughs> uh, they, they are... <laughs> I'm, I'm leading this up great. Um, yeah. It's a it's a flashback, and they're going out to dinner, uh, and afterwards they're going to go see the midnight showing of Captain America: Civil War. Woo! Yay! And that's awesome because they are the same kind of MCU loving movie theater midnight people watching as you. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and the thing they're talking about in the diner is the fridging trope. Uh, women in refrigerators, says Tiff, and I like this had to be here, right? As once Fen was dead, right away my mind went to that trope because it was, I mean, I don't know if it's still as big a thing now with everything else. The discourse maybe has slightly advanced, uh, but it's still a thing. And at the time, definitely, like, I was thinking, oh, crap, does this count as fridging? And I thought immediately back to Hermione and how that, you know, was immediately seen as, well, you killed off a a female uh female friend of the protagonist to motivate him so it's fridging and like i just i hated that i could not read this story and just read about fen dying and not having that intrude into my thoughts as i was reading it so i absolutely understand why this had to be called out and addressed especially in a piece of metafiction of all things but i was also very annoyed that you know it it was still a thing meta yeah i love it so um for the uninitiated, for the uninitiated, uh, women in refrigerators is the trope of. Um, I think it's best succinctly summarized in the John Wick pitch meeting, and it's like, oh yeah, so then then his wife dies. Oh no, how she's the wife of a protagonist in an action movie. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. Um, so it's it's like okay, you've got the the male lead, and they need a motivation, so we kill the girl. Yeah. Um. So that said, uh. And that's definitely, you know, so like in the example, like John Wick's wife, totally fridged to death, right? Um, mm. I don't think Hermione or Fenn counts. Actually, uh, no, it was not John Wick's wife. It was John Wick's dog. No, his wife died uh, and gave him the dog. But you're yes, right. The dog, wife... the dog was fridged. You're right. Yeah, it was the dog that was the motivation. The wife was just a sad thing that happened to him. And that is why he had such a strong bond with the dog so that then they could fridge the dog. Like, honestly, I thought it was spot on. It was an absolutely beautiful way to get around the the fridging trope because they just wanted a good revenge action movie, and they knew that you can't do that with uh, fridging the the girl lead anymore. So they did it to the dog instead, and it was perfect because everybody loves dogs. And you know, 
a lot of people hate women because women be bitches. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I th- and there's something just more like, you know, if someone wants to go on a killing rampage to event, well, like uh, Taken, you know, it's not to avenge his daughter, it's to save her. But yeah, um, like, and that's awesome and great. But there's something so much more visceral. Like the dog is killed just off camera, but you can tell it's killed. Well, the puppy. Yeah. And yeah. so like I, the, everyone watched the pitch meeting for John Wick. The guy just pauses the screenwriter guy or the, yeah, the executive guy. And he's like, okay, a lot of people better die for that. I'm like, oh yeah, don't <laughs> worry. The, ne- the next, the next 70 minutes of people are going to be people dying for that. He's like, actually, I'm totally fine with that. You can't mess with dogs. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, I see what you're saying. So actually Arthur's counter arguments aren't really addressing your problem whatsoever. Cause like he, Arthur's giving in this, in this dream here, it's like uh, Tiff and Arthur arguing about, um, you know, the, the trope of fridging and Arthur's trying to explain, it's like, look, no, like most protagonists were men because probably sexism and people who made stuff were men. So they were just made themselves and stuff. And most people are straight. So they were with women and they need a motivation. So it's girls and blah, 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 blah. But like none of that actually addresses like what Tiff is getting at mm-hmm. and what you got at. Um, for me, it was just a, a kind of like a fun debate. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's exactly the kind of thing to where like I, I, I can very much identify with Arthur's like enthusiasm of like getting so wrapped up in the fun of the discussion that you totally like don't even remember what sport you're playing yet you not only taking your eye off the ball you just you don't even care about the you're just having like a good time engaging that right yeah 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 and so like and and there's a part where like tiff is even like well no it's not even about gender gender is not important he's like ah then i win (laughs) (laughs) it's like well that's not the you're missing the point (laughs) the point wasn't to win motherfucker yeah, the point is to say, like, look, this sucks. And I don't think that they're... I was thinking about this. I don't think anyone gets fridged in Civil War. Um, cer- certainly. No. In fact, the Marvel movies are pretty good about that. Deadpool 1 is a perfect example, and so is Deadpool 2 of somebody getting fridged. Um, yeah, but they play it, like, totally straight. Right. Like, they... I mean, the, it's... The whole thing is it's a it's a comedy action type thing, so... Well, they acknowledge the that one, it's a fridging. The second one, they don't, like... They're not so direct with it the first one they literally put her in a refrigerator like device um so they're they're definitely self-aware of it in that one but then the second one she you know she gets oh wait she kind of gets killed Uh, there's time travel who knows where that deadpool 3 will end up but yeah um anyway mcu ones do a good job about it so nobody Um, nobody kills any nobody goes on a revenge rampage that's true well you know i mean there are uh there are outbursts after somebody gets hurt or something I was going to say, I recently saw WandaVision, and her motivation was her parents getting killed, right? Yeah. But it's wonder... not fridging in the same way that the, the John Wick isn't fridging, because it wasn't the female love interest. It was parents. Right. And, like, you know, if you're, you know, it shouldn't, like, and I get, like, it is a women in refrigerators trope, but, like, if it worked to where the genders are reversed, I guess that it's kind of like there's a historical imbalance, and this is getting me too far into territory I don't know how to navigate but um i don't I mean, the, the, the problem literally is the fact that it's always a woman being stuffed into a fridge it's it's just killing a a loved one to motivate someone isn't objectionable on its own yeah right that's how that's how john wick got around it so well yeah yeah i mean you know a lot of people are motivated by somebody being killed so that makes sense yeah i think arthur's not hitting the point that tiff is hitting and part of that yeah. is because he's engaging the argument on a different level 
Like, right. So, you know, like, is it sexist? And he's like, well, that's not really the thing. I'm just talking about historically how it happened. And he's like, I'm not saying it's not bad. Well, yeah. And Tiff is like, well, I am. And it's like, well, then, you know, we're talking about different stuff. Um, right. And so, you know, like, this is the thing that bugs me. What is the Game of Thrones books called? It is Game of Thrones. No, Song of Ice and Fire. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the world sucks. It's terrible. People are sexist, rapist assholes. Well, George Martin sucks. And it's like, no, he just wrote a terrible place. Right. right. It is possible yeah. to encapsulate a character that is not a monster or that that is a monster whilst not being a monster yourself. Um, yeah. You know, there are a lot of people who would complain about that sort of stuff who I think like Wild Bow's works, which if you've ever read them, uh, is full of psychopathic, horrible monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yes, it is possible to contain that sort of stuff without being that you know person yourself. Right. You can write a. Uh, in fact, there's a whole section of people in that story that are white supremacists. Like they're not the heroes, but that's not the point. Like just because the author is capable of modeling them doesn't make the the author somehow a secret. I don't know. All that stuff bugs me. So I'm, yeah. I'm just if I was at the table, that'd be my contribution. I would let them argue about fridging and stuff. And uh, well, I'd, you, be, you want- I'd be sitting right next to Tom working on my burger and pitching in once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and th- throw in my thing right here because we're talking about it anyway. Let's let's get it over with. Do it. Um, okay. As is pointed out near the beginning of all this conversation, it's very similar to the Bechdel test in that something is identified in society that sucks. And it does suck. And also, it's sexist when you look at it. It's kind of undeniable. And then the allegation is made that anything which contributed to this outcome is sexist as well, and anyone involved was sexist, which is where a lot of the controversy comes in. The problem being that, yeah, seeing an entire body of films and of sci-fi and fantasy literature and all that, that has women being killed off to motivate their male love interests, or that shows uh, in the Song of Ice and Fire example, a misogynistic patriarchal society. But George R. R. Martin isn't himself sexist. He wrote very complex, interesting women who wielded power, in many cases, much better and more effectively than their male counterparts. Uh, the same thing has been brought up about Dune recently, I'm assuming because the movie is coming out. Uh, I had someone tell me that Dune is a sexist book and that Frank Herbert is a sexist. And that is just patently not the case. I mean, I don't know, maybe Frank Herbert was secretly a sexist, but Dune is not a sexist book. Uh, Frank Herbert has written very interesting, complex female characters who have a lot of agency in the story. They are their own people. They are never treated as sex objects or as just things to move the male plot line along. But the allegation is made that, well, look at this entire field of literature that is full of uh, misogynistic patriarchal societies as a whole, that's kind of sexist. And he could have chosen to not write that if he wanted to. He created this universe from scratch. And therefore, since that is the overall problem we're seeing and he has contributed to the problem, he is a sexist himself. Which is, like I said, absolutely stupid if you actually look at the work in question. So I think that particular case is, like you were saying, just a matter where they're talking on different levels and talking past each other. And I don't know what necessarily to do about that, except 
acknowledge that both levels exist. Uh, but then we get to the interesting question of the moral frameworks within a marketplace where he says, well, then let's go ahead and make more female-driven uh, stories and make more matriarchal societies and preferentially publish those to make things more equal out there. And that seems great on its surface, but then you run into this other problem, which uh, I kind of hate, but I guess a lot of people call it the message fiction sucks problem, uh, that people do see this problem and they want to address it and this is like the only way that seems an equitable way to address the problem is publish more of the opposite side. But then people are focused more on writing counter examples to even things out than necessarily about making a great story. And I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think anyone sets out to write a, you know, substandard story or whatever, but writing something really good and really magnificent and popular is really fucking hard to do and it's really rare uh i think alexander wales has the ability to do it and he's awesome and every year there's you know maybe one or two people that could do it and oftentimes they're distracted by some other project or something i don't know or maybe they do do it and that particular work just doesn't rise to prominence but uh for every one person that can do that and do an amazing job of it there's many dozens who see this problem and want to fix the problem that don't have quite the same chops that that one person does. So a lot of this sort of stuff gets written and it gets preferentially published because people do want to address this issue. It is an issue. And not only does it get published, but then people who are looking for this are like, oh, thank God, look, finally we have a counter narrative or, or something that f helps fix the problem, and then they promote it to their friends and other people that listen to their opinions or read their blogs or whatever. They're like, look at this great thing. At last we have it. Sometimes the word gets out and other people read it, and it turns out it's, it's just okay. It's not like Dune. It's not another Song of Ice and Fire except inverted societies or whatever. It's just another, you know, pretty good thing that's, that makes for passable reading, but it isn't amazing. Some of the reading public will say things like, what, what's going on here? For the past five years, people have been pushing these things on me, and they're never all that great. And I see that the common theme is that they're pushing this social narrative, and I wish they would stop. It's really annoying. I guess just like people who want to write feminist fiction or whatever don't know how to write. Uh, message fiction sucks. I don't think that's true at all. I think a lot of great writers are feminists, obviously. Um, possibly including Frank Herbert, not sure. But more importantly, I think pretty much all good fiction is message fiction. If an author doesn't have something deeper that really bugs them on some deep emotional level about society to say in a work, it often won't be that great of a work or that challenging of a work. So I, I do think that ultimately all really good fiction is message fiction, and people... People don't internalize that because they just see a good story and they like the story and it evokes emotions and they aren't thinking like, oh, this is just there to push a narrative. It's there to tell a damn good story and it did that. And it also pushes on this message narrative at the same time through the story. Whereas if we are reading a piece of fiction and you're like, oh, this is just pushing a narrative and the story itself kind of sucks and it's being promoted, that's when the fact that, you know, it is written just to push the message really comes out and it's glaring and irritating and that's why the message fiction sucks trope is popularized. And I think that that is a whole nother issue and it is where these 
two people kind of conflict and why there ends up being a lot of enmity between these two camps in the in the fiction communities where some people are like, well, you're just sexist racists that, you know, think that people can't write because you're against them politically. And other people are like, if we just want a good story. Stop trying to push your message with this subpar fiction. And and again, they're they're fighting over things that they probably wouldn't fight over if there was just more. Um, I, I don't even know what the term is. If humans were better at everything. <laughs> but I guess, you know, we can always wish for that in all cases. All right, that, that's it. Rent over. I probably was not nearly as coherent as I would have liked to be. And I even re-recorded it. I think you put that really well. I mean, a book isn't good because it has a diverse cast and the the protagonist is in, you know, a in three epicycles of minority, right? Um, mm-hmm. A book is good. And can have all of those things. And if it does, it's all the better. Uh, but yeah. it has to be good aside from that, right? Um, yeah. You know, the, the characters have to be uh, fleshed out and cool. And if they're fleshed out and cool and they also happen to be in a, like, underrepresented minority group, hey, fuck yeah, that's that's even better. Right. Um, but but if you're if you're just shoehorning it in and, like, people can tell, then it just feels so cheap. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you guys are just like getting greenlit by the directors on like the applause lights. Yeah. Like, can you write a good story and then cast it really well? So, you know, I feel you. Um, so the story, like at this point, it seems like a flashback. Um, mm-hmm. And God, Arthur's like, hey, I want to talk about like, you know, the the market uh, factors because I feel like those are important to digging into moral statements. And moral statements, says Fen as she slipped in the booth next to me. My favorite. Yeah. And man. Yeah. So that I th- was just wow. Yeah. I think your your comment there, this is awesome, is the same sense that I thought it was awesome. Like, mm-hmm. fuck, that sucker punch got me good. Like mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. And uh it just it hit. <laughs> um yeah. and there's a comedic beat here that I don't know if it's I'm gonna read it just because it's funny and this episode needs some levity. Um Tiff says, hold up, you're begging the question. And Fen says, what does that even mean, Tom? No one actually knows. It's the Calvin Ball of objections. It means whatever you want it to mean at the moment you say it. June, <laughs> I don't think that's true, but I don't know enough about rhetoric to dispute it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a line like that, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia where, like, Charlie's burning their garbage. And he's like, no, of course, yeah, you burn it. And then it goes into the sky and it becomes stars. And well, that, that, that <laughs> And they're like, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know enough about stars to, to, to dispute it. I think that might have been a direct line there because the, I mean, maybe not, but the, the line of, I don't know, I don't know enough about X to dispute it mm-hmm. with something absurd like the trash to stars. But anyway, I loved it. That was pure gold. Um, it was good. And like you were saying, uh, Arthur wanted to talk about um, like good message fiction, but before you can get to the good stuff somebody wearing a hoodie and i actually guessed it was the dm as soon as it said that he had a beard um mm-hmm. but then it says his shirt says no more mr dice guy didn't it just say mr dice guy when you met him i think so okay so i wonder if he's now gonna like be an asshole forever or just in this dream i hope it's just this dream yeah because if because the thing is this is june having a dream on air where the dm has full access to everything of june's mind right this might so, literally be the DM just like jumping into June's dream just to fuck with him a la Freddy Krueger. It could be. And if that's the case, I hope his message isn't to convey I'm not I'm done playing nice. Um, yeah. I mean, was he ever playing nice? I don't I don't think Maybe so. Maybe during the two. Yeah, no. Not even during the tutorial. He got his ass whooped. 
It's true. It's yeah. even less nice than before, I guess. Yeah. That that was his version of nice, man. Anyway, so yeah. this this guy from the booth behind kind of like I, I don't know what's he pushes them so he can get in and sit between everybody and uh and it's like where where where, where were we? Oh, Uther was just explaining narrative again, says the guy. And god, it was such a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just I don't know. It it hit me I think exactly like it was supposed to because it hit me hard. Um, And then I'm going to just read this again. Sorry, I'm rambling. But uh, so the the DM says, well, the question isn't about what gender balance looks like in a story optimized for lowest common denominator, is it? It's why the girl has to be is the one to die. And he reaches behind and grabs a gun and shoots Fen and then tosses the gun over his shoulder and says, "Hmm, wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, Like, A. I love the symbolism in it because I can detect it and I'm bad at picking up symbolism. But when it's this ham- when it's this heavy handed, I'm actually capable of seeing it. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. This is like perfect dream logic, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the DM might as well shot Fen in the fucking face. Right. And then, oh, I, I didn't do it. I, you know. Yeah, the, that the, guy the, over there. Yeah, O'Called and his, his yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, awesome dream. Terrible dream. You know, why yeah. not both? It was it was a really great sequence and and they talked about the whole trope a little bit even if it didn't give us any resolution. Maybe that was also on purpose, you know. Or, or you know, Wales didn't want to spend all day talking about it, but like you know, you don't get resolution when somebody gets murdered, you know. Like yeah, it, it totally. gets cut off prematurely. Yeah. So the next bit is told from Amaryllis's point of view, and uh, she reveals that she is thinking a lot about narrative. Uh, she says that reading Luther's biography gives me the sense that there are entire civilizations that only ever existed because Uther needed something to do for a few weeks between larger plots. So everything has to be calculated with that in mind. I tried to tell Fen that, but she didn't fucking listen, and now she's dead. And I'm, I'm mainly just glad that... Uh, well, I'm glad about two things. First, that she's really serious about this because I think somebody probably should be but also it's good that she doesn't let this slip around june because she probably uh can can feel fairly confident that the the narrative is not looking at her uh when june's not around and uh it usually isn't in this one case it happened to be but the fact that she doesn't say this around june means that norm normally the narrative will not pick up on it which is good because that would piss off the dm i guess that's interesting yeah i i like that meta level of it you know, hey, now that June's busy, we can talk freely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the DM's busy haunting his dreams, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we can we can talk about the things that we usually can't talk about in his company. Um, I, what I like that she does is she's you know badass, wants to use their time pragmatically, and challenges Val to a duel so that she can't use devil skills to lie. Um, Val she refuses to not let Val participate, and even when Val falls to the floor and starts crying. She's like, oh, I screwed up. I This is all my fault. I messed up. And she's like, look, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can in the face. And mm-hmm. nothing you're going to say is she's going to change my mind. Mm-hmm. And I like that she pre-commits to that out loud. And therefore, when she's like second guessing herself, oh, God, maybe she is telling the truth. And it wasn't a ploy. I would feel so bad if I hit her. Nope. That's the thing that would show that I'm the kind of person that can be manipulated by a sobbing mess of a young girl. So she goes yeah. over there and says, I'm going to hit you now. And then she does. Um, yeah. I think. Val might have switched and dodged or, you know, deflects it or something. She doesn't just tank the punch to the face, but uh, yeah. it was just like, 
I'm glad that she she stuck to her guns. And I not just too. because, you know, arguably Val earned that punch a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it when I when it when she goes to hit her, I was like, all right, however it works out with Val's intentions, I'm just glad Amaryllis didn't back down. Even if Val's totally innocent. Um yeah. just because was- she she said that she was going to do it. And if she allowed herself to be talked out of it, then she would be able to be manipulated by the devils. Right. So two things, first of all, I, that whole time that that was happening, I was not sure she was actually going to punch her right up until she did. Cause she was waffling back and forth so much in her mind. And I was so glad that she actually did go through with it. Were you, were you worried she wasn't gonna? I don't remember. Maybe I've read by notes. I, I might've speculated. I can't remember specifically. I, I know that what it looks like from the outside is Amarillo is confidently saying this, then going over mm-hmm. and confidently doing it, mm-hmm. right? But on the inside, yeah. you know, she's she's uh, agonizing over it, right? Yeah. Um, I she's only really like almost not going to for like half of a paragraph. I don't know if I had time to think before Amarillo says to herself, but Amarillo couldn't stop because if she did, you know, um, yeah. But it seemed like she might not for a second. You're right. I was worried that she wasn't going to, and then I was like, oh, thank God, she actually went for it. Now they can have this conversation. Again, Absolutely. I feel bad that this is what it has to come to, but there's no other way, right? Yeah. Uh, Actually, there kind of is, but they do that later. Yes. Uh, and this also makes for a really cool scene um, and lets her, you know, have the whole punching um, or not punching, waffling tension thing. And, uh, Am- other- and Amaryllis has some sort of affliction that she thinks is making her aggressive. That might just be her interpreting her grief and like her real like mental affliction is going to be like, I don't know, forgetfulness or something or insert something like super benign um mm-hmm. but maybe maybe her grief is her aggression or it's actually like a an irritability slash rage uh mental affliction so this is also letting her vent to that yeah uh but isn't this like she has to go ahead and punch her otherwise you know that'll be giving the information that she can be manipulated by a sob mess of a girl isn't this the same uh correct in my opinion form line of reasoning that would say you should cut off that dude's dick after you said you were going to cut it <laughs> off if he goes for the gun the spawn of satan or the spawn <laughs> of hell are are more of a threat than this one dude um, that's true there but but yes uh committing you know sticking to your commitments like that is valuable um okay. you know if probably more so with val who they're going to have many interactions with than that guy they'll never see again yeah he's not coming back and um uh, she doesn't have to demonstrate to anybody you know that or rather, Fen didn't have to demonstrate to anybody that like I could do this, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was clearly just a matter of her deciding not to, not like that she was talked out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I right. do still so, think probably so. So they're they're fighting. Val is obviously winning the fight, but um, that demonstrates that she's got a demon now, not a devil. Which you know, it's funny because like, not like Val can't lie. Um, yeah, but it means that she, she can't, can't lie, lie expertly. Good. Yeah, yeah, she can't. And so Amaryllis can at least detect if she's being lied to. But okay. we do learn that she didn't think that June and Val were any good together. Fen. And she says, yes, June and Fen. I said Val. Yeah. <laughs> okay. June and Fen weren't any good together. And she says, I could have fixed them, but it would have taken too much time and too much of Juniper's attention. Which, what the fuck, Val? What the ever living fuck? Yeah. And it's not just like, I didn't think they were good together. She says, I wanted them to break up. Like, yeah. so yes, I, that session ended just like I wanted it to. 
It was exactly what June was afraid of, that she thought she knew better. And so she broke them up. And when when she started crying and was like, my father did the same thing. You were supposed to be better. He's like, fuck, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm mad, but I shouldn't be taking it out on you. It worked. And that's that's the thing is I want to like Val, but she's got this devil manipulation shit. And we're never talking to her. We're talking to her fueled by devil magic. And like, when when can we trust her? Um, It's. I don't know. It's rough. Uh, Amaryllis not pulling her punches, no pun intended, uh, just straight up asks, did you kill her? And Val says, I chose you. And she repeats this later on where we have the actual funeral scene to Juniper. Uh, but it is repeated that June took Grack and Solus, which totally makes sense because she was the healer and uh, she was, Solus was the healer. She needed to get out first so she could heal them. Grack was right next to her, easy. Uh, uh, that left Val still in the room, and she could only pull out one person uh, because she's not strong enough to take them both. She had to choose between uh, Mar- Amaryllis and Fen, and she chose Amaryllis because she thought she was the more important party member, um, which, objectively speaking, I think is true. Uh, so she started pulling out... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, that's the kind of lie that like you don't have to be a devil to tell, right? Because that's a mostly truth. Yeah, yeah. No, I chose I chose you, Mary, because I had to pick somebody near you're more important. And yeah. that could that could be true while at the same time not saying the true thought of like and fuck Fen. I didn't like her anyway, right? Exactly. And like this is this is another thing. She says I could have stopped June as he was going back in for Fen and given him the crown. So that he could rush in there, jam it on Fen's head, and come out with her. But I decided that we needed to give Solus every advantage we could. He was late coming out. And she, like, I don't know. She Again, she made the choice. The, the, the chance of saving Solus needs to be as high as possible, even if that reduces the chance of saving Fen. And, like, none of this is, like, I'm out there trying to kill someone. But it's just always consistently choosing someone else's life is more important than Fen's and in all cases I can't say she's wrong but but she like she had she just always chose someone else and I want to know what you have to say about it before I say anything further um I mean again she gives perfectly plausible explanations but that's again I I want to you know I'm glad I'm off the Amaryllis' Voldemort train because it'd it'd be too hard to be keeping an eye on two of them but I want to stop thinking that, you know, we've got a Valdi Val on our Valdemort. That works a lot better um, mm. on our, in our party. Like I want to find some way to verify trust for good and like, let this work out. Um, mm. But like, I don't know, to me, this, this was my, my thought was, all right. So June went back in to get Mary because Fen or uh, Val was struggling to carry her out when she was in full plate armor. Yeah. If, if, Val can almost carry a woman in full plate. She can she can carry Fen. Right. When Instead, June she took, walks out empty-handed. Well, she I mean, she raced after June to go put the th- uh, uh, throne, the crown of thorns on Solus's head and then uh, Amaryllis's head because she's, again, prioritizing other people. But yeah, you're right. She could have turned around while June was dragging uh, Amaryllis out. She could have turned around, run back in, gone after Fen instead of choosing to increase the chances of survival for someone else first. Like she, she had that capability. She just thought 
giving someone else a few more percentage points of survival was better use. I'm not even sure if we're talking percentage points. Like, you know, I don't know how big this place is, how long the trip was door to door or whatever. But like, you know, if, if I know that, uh, Fen and Amaryllis are fighting the same thing. Granted, Fen was shooting at it, so she could have been further away, whatever. But like, we're, I'm, I think we're talking like 15 seconds, you know, mm-hmm. like we're not talking like, oh, it's a two minute trip. Right. So like of the difference, I mean, in time that it would have taken, maybe it's a two minute trip to the door. But point is, is like, it's not like she doubled Amaryllis's chance of survival. I don't yeah. think maybe, well, maybe she did. Maybe Amaryllis we- was almost definitely going to die or something, you know, but it's hard yeah. to say. We don't know yeah. how fast this poison acts. We don't know how close anyone is to death's door. Like you have no idea if you're doubling their chances or if if you didn't do this, would Amaryllis or Solace definitely had died? Like it's there's so many unknowns. You're just that's why it's it's hard to like say um, you did the wrong thing because there's so many unknowns and judgment calls. And in every specific case, I think the party member she chose was technically more valuable, right? Yeah. Again, uh, it's all very plausible. Yeah. But that's the thing. It sucks because, like, it could be true. And I want to believe her, right? Yeah. But I mean, and also because you're playing dice games, who knows? Maybe they were very far away from death and you could have run in and saved Fen. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's all the second guessing just makes me bummed because, like, I want to be able to like Val and enjoy having her around. But right now it's just like, you know, am I talking to you or like Satan right now? Yeah. And oh, no, it's me, June. You can trust me. It's like, well, but I literally can't. Yeah. <laughs> and anything that you say that makes me feel like I should be able to trust you is just going to be more evidence that I can't trust you. How the hell do I operate like this? Yeah. I so I the other thing about this scene was that um, I am glad I reread it. The first time I was reading through this, I got the impression I read it slightly wrong. I got the impression that she could have saved uh fen and like everyone else like when she says uh i i could have saved her like i i took that which could you have saved her i yes but i chose mary like i took that as a very literal thing and i did not understand why she was not kicked from the party and maybe like executed or something like why people still had her around i despised fen for the rest of this reading uh, of the of the book because it she killed fen she chose to kill fen she didn't have to kill fen she just wanted her out of the way and then like rereading this i kind of see that like oh she chose to save amaryllis yes but it was like it was a gamble she was one of the other one or the other was could die it was a almost like a forced choice you have to choose one of them to die which one do you choose as opposed to i could have chosen to save them both so, and again, like, we don't know that it was a forced choice necessarily. Maybe she could have saved them both, but we also don't know that she couldn't have. And so it's, it's, I hate her less now. I will be able to reread the rest of this without as much of a burning ember of, of rage at Valencia. And so that part is, I guess, okay, but I still don't trust her and I don't like any of this shit. I feel you. I, I'm hoping that we can settle this. So like, we don't have to just you know, put on our uh, tinfoil hats every time Val's in the room, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. In the meantime, yep. they swap out who's it gets to be in the time chamber. I guess Val goes in with Amaryllis just for like company because she doesn't have a mental affliction to rest off. I um, believe so. And Amaryllis hands June a note. Mm. And it's uh, 
from Fen, if you're reading this, I'm dead, which is probably a bummer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, it sure is. Um, she asks that if, uh, I don't know how I died, but I'll just assume it was awesome instead <laughs> of something stupid or a freak accident. And mm-hmm. my wife and I have also decided that if I die in a stupid way, that she'll tell everyone that it was heroic and over the top badass, like, like unbelievable. Awesome. But that's the point. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. Oh yeah. He flipped a semi like with his hands to, you know, rescue orphans. Um, you know, See some, those handprints some, in the semi? That was him. Yeah. So, something stupidly unbelievable, but like no one can be like, that can't be true. It's like, that's my husband you're talking about. So nice. that's, that's the goal. Uh, I hope that she does do that, but I also hope you don't die in a stupid way. I'd better not die, period. But if I, you know, yeah. if I do, that'll be my legacy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, she uh, she does mention in the letter that Amaryllis said not to write this letter because, and she quotes, if you write a letter to be opened after you die, then Chekhov will rise from his grave and shoot you himself. Uh, which was great and totally Amaryllis and again shows how much she thinks about narrative. But I do think they managed to avoid that because uh, no one told June about this letter. And so the narrative didn't see it. And so it wasn't a Chekhov's gun. I guess I, I think of the narrative and the DM as the same person. Like the narrative is like what the DM is there to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And yet I, in the dream. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that. I think the DM sees basically what we see, but I guess that's not 100% sure. That, that makes sense. Cause he, you know, he was wanting to follow June around, but the thing is, is like, Chekhov will rise from his grave and shoot you himself. In the dream, the DM could have snapped his fingers and Ben could have choked to death on her own blood from like whatever she was drinking mm-hmm. from like poison. Mm-hmm. Instead, he shot her. Oh, shit. I mean, if 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 we want to go full crazy with this, like this is what it would be like living in Amaryllis's head when she's trying to interpret everything this way, right? Yeah. So, yeah, he was there watching this note be read and like, oh, this would be really funny. Um, oh, man. I, I know. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I, I basically, I think I highlighted the entire thing. I, in fact, in the thing I sent you, like my compilation of notes, I think it was the longest notes I've ever sent. Um, 200 plus separate highlights and I think 1300 lines long after uh, being edited down. So, damn. Um, but I, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm, I'll spare everybody me pulling out this entire fucking letter and just pull out this one bit. Um she says this letter is being written by the, the majority of it is like her explaining that she doesn't want the Arthur treatment after she's dead. Yeah. And she's, she's explaining what that means. She's like, I'm going to try to absolve you of the need to go bonkers. Cause I'm dead. She says, don't go making up some fake version of me that never really existed because it feels better to not think about all the ways that I was flawed. I'm not saying that you did that with Arthur, but you totally did that with Arthur. <laughs> uh, and he did. And, and he knows that. And he's already on it. Right. Like yeah. he, he knows that, and he, when he was thinking to himself in in his recovery room with Grack that like, no, I was doing that and I won't do that with you. Uh, I'm going to, you know, do this. And I just wanted to point that out because if there are any Fen haters left after this letter, then they're just being ridiculous. Like, you know, yes, she acted in, and it's funny because even my like phrasing here is super rose colored. She may have acted in ways that weren't perfectly, you know, weren't always super rational is how I phrased it. She was dumb sometimes. All, all of yeah. that. She said dumb things. She was rude, whatever. But the important thing is she was working on be, becoming a better person. Yeah. And that's all anyone can ever want from somebody, you know, for yeah. them to actually be be working, to be improving. And she didn't like who she was and she was she was getting better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the rose-colored glasses for for grieving, like, yes, that's a real thing. And to the extent that it doesn't, like, hurt anything, leave them on, you know? Well, no. Yeah. Uh, 
it's not rose colored for me to look back at Finn and say, now that I know that she was trying to become a better person and she never got to finish that project, it's not like I'm going to like forget that she had flaws, right? Yeah. Because I realized I contradicted myself. Um, I, you know, I don't want to make up some fake f- version of her that didn't exist. But the thing is, I have a better idea of who she actually was. Yeah. You know, underneath that, there was this project of I want to become better, right? Right. And, you know, that's, I guess that's all I got to say on that. Yeah. It was, it was a good letter. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that we never got to finish, see her finishing the project of being better. But uh, she did have this hilarious line that I'm going to pull out. That if you're going to hook up with someone in the group after I die, which seems likely, here's my list in order because I know you like lists. Amaryllis, she's hot. Grack, he needs to get laid. Locus, it would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> Solace, grown up, naturally. The house, if she doesn't look like Tiff. Valencia, bleh. And the house, if she does look like Tiff. <laughs> So I thought this was uh, hilarious. Um, but also, what do you think of the list? And why the heck is Val so low? I think she never got over Val being like the June bait thing. Um, so she wrote this when she was in the time chamber with Amarillo. So this is before therapy and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, I think it was just mainly like, oh, God, this doe-eyed pale girl, you know, you know, using her cleavage to tra- draw my boyfriend's attention. Um, I think that's it. And I think I mentioned her cleavage last episode too. I distinctly remember at some point, I think like when June asks her about the voting thing, yeah, that he comments on it. So like, I'm not just inserting that they're being a pervert. Um, no, it, he, well, yeah, he does comment on it, but he also says that like, she leaned forward and drew her arms together to accentuate the cleavage, which exactly. is, yeah. But so I mean, th- that, that's I why, also, that's why I remark on it so much in talking about her because that's like the, yeah. you know, that's the June bait aspect of it right and val knows that and everybody well that's one aspect of it i i mean i think the june bait is very much a psychology and well yes and like youth and helplessness kind of thing but like i don't think the boobs size necessarily see that here's the thing about the titties first of all (laughs) yes everybody loves titties Uh, but second of all based on how like young and waifish and helpless she's described i don't think she has big titties and the thing is, when she was described as like leaning forward and pulling her arms close together in front of her and then having cleavage, like that's a thing you can do with very small breasts if you really want to accentuate them. And that's why I think she was doing it to because she probably doesn't have like big old honkers and she knows that everyone likes titties. So she was trying to to do more of that thing. Totally valid. And maybe I'm just being the pervert then. But <laughs> well, you're uh, not being a pervert. He was perfectly legitimate. And plus, you are correct that people love boobs. And may- maybe Fen doesn't like her because, like, again, the June bait thing. And also, maybe she just doesn't like, like, the fact that she's basically this helpless little girl minus the devils. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, what do I think of the list? I basically I approve. Um, oh, okay. I, w- I would put Val above the house unless she did actually consciously orchestrate slash allow Fen's death. Um, right. Previous I, to the whole therapy thing going down, I would have put Val probably second after Amaryllis because I I, <laughs> I I don't think that Grack or the Locust is June's type, but <laughs> I also think the list was done partly for comedic effect. Yeah, true. Fen comments about how cool it is that she can write a letter be from beyond the grave, and she doesn't know why more people don't do that. Uh, I I mean, I thought about that for a second, for a few seconds, but honestly, like... I wouldn't write a letter from beyond the grave because I don't think I have anything to say. Like I, I try to get out all the stuff while I'm alive, at least nowadays. So not, there wouldn't be much in that letter. 
I think that's awesome and super valuable. Um, when I initially read that, I was like, oh yeah, I should get some of these notes together. Like, you know, just cause it'd be a nice thing to have. And yet fuck that. I think I'm fully on board with what you're saying. Um, and it's, it's the way I felt. I think I'm glad you helped me like really realize that. Um, like, no, if, you, if there's something important you want to say to somebody, get out there and say it like today or at least soon. Um, yeah. don't put it off. You know, I know it's, it's silly how like many cliches come to mind partly, I think because they're just part of like, you know, common consciousness, but also they're there for a reason, but like, you know, you never know when you'll get another chance to, to say something to somebody like that's just true. You know, so yeah. if, if you want to tell them, you know, something nice, fucking do it. If you want to tell right. them something mean, I don't know. If you think you'll need that for closure for your life, do it maybe. But maybe reconsider whether or not you need to be mean to somebody. Yeah. Uh, June does comment that he'd written a letter like that to be open after his death. And actually, he'd written a lot of them to a lot of different people. And he called them suicide notes instead, which... I, I didn't see that coming. I saw in your notes that you said you had this building sense of dread as you listed people because you knew what was coming. But that was, yeah. Well, it was, I mean, because they were earth names, but I saw one, two, and I was like, oh, shit. Oh. You know, it was, it was only like the time that it would take to, uh, um, yeah, you know, to read a couple lines. Yeah. But um, I was like, oh, fuck. That's, I, your note was oof. And I said, I second that oof. Yeah. Um, you know, but luckily it, didn't, it didn't shake out that way. Yeah. Probably. Unless that's how he got to Arab. Um, oh. I really, really hope not. Um, that could be. But if Arthur got here after he died, you know, it's not impossible that June got here because he died. Yeah. I joked about him dying in, in English class, but um, maybe that's the... I, I hope he didn't kill himself and end up in Arab. Yeah, me too. Right. Pushing past Fence that. funeral. Yay. <laughs> sorry i was like push, pushing past <laughs> oh, that depressing depressing stuff more depressing yeah. stuff yeah everyone's got great one-liners for amarillo says she was the closest thing i ever had to a sister um Greg says she always found ways to be happy yeah. uh it's super sweet um yeah yeah june continues to distrust val as we all do um he he may be losing two people from his party <sighs> yeah i wonder what it would take i mean None of Uther's knights died, so this is already, you know, if those fucking assholes needed any proof that this guy's not doing an Uther, like, yeah. they they demonstrated it. Um, yeah. So maybe he can just kick her out, and then she disappears from his character sheet, right? Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I hope that, again, I'll quit beating my dead horse. I hope we get some resolution on this, and I can trust Val or know that she's evil for good. I don't want to sit yes. in limbo for a hundred more chapters. The words that June has to say about Fen uh, end with, and her depths. I never really got to explore them as much as I would have liked. And he realizes, as he says that, he says, I let that hang in the air for a moment. I hadn't meant it as a joke or something crude. But as I was trying to think of what to say next, my mind kept circling back to that. I felt myself smiling a little. And I did too, because that's exactly the sort of joke that Fen would have loved. And it was great and touching. Ben would have high-fived him for that pun. Yep. You didn't contradict me on the word pun. I, I figured everybody would know what I was about to say anyway, so I would just let their minds fill in the rest. I mean, this is the wordplay thing, too, you know? It is. Yeah, sure. Mm. It, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's a double entendre. It's, it's because just, it's perfect. It has a French name, so it's not a pun. Oh, please. All right. Uh, so they... I love this. Um, they 
want to settle this with Val. And so they have her eat a human soul um, so that, and it took me a minute to figure out why that would help, but Grack and Bethel can now see the latent magics around her, right? Yeah. So that's handy. Um, and June, I think she, she confesses that like, yes, I, I let you guys break up. And then um, he says, what about the fight? Could you have saved her? And she says basically the same thing that she told Amaryllis that I, yes. Um, and June his internal narrative. And then I thought that I really would have to kill her because if she had sat there and done nothing, then she was no better than, better than the dungeon master. Yeah. And I was trying to keep my, my thoughts somewhat light when I was reading this. Uh, and uh, I was like, Hey, on the plus side, he's not having an internal debate about, is it okay to hit a girl? So good on him mm. for not being sexist. Yeah. And then she continues on to again, say the thing I had to choose one of them to die. And my Which God, we're still not sure about, but maybe, yeah, I hope, I hope that's true. You know, I'm, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt because I want things to work out, but I do like, um, June says here, like it's, it's a long thing, but he says, um, I forgive you. I, for, I forgive you for trying to, for trying to manipulate me and then didn't die because of you. Um, yeah. Now, maybe he bought her lie, which, God damn it, I hope he kills her if she did. But right. if she told the truth, then holy shit, this is the kind of stuff that old June would never, ever have done. Yeah. You know, current June would have thanked that dipshit who said God works in mysterious ways for his sentiment and moved on, you know? Like, I don't know if he would have gone that far, but he might have not beaten him into a he, hospital. He just forgave the person who could have but didn't save his girlfriend. Like, yeah. I guess he had a week. To sit there and dwell on the possibility it wasn't like thrown at him. And so, he's also believing her that she could have saved one or the other and right. not both. Yeah. I mean, you know, if. And he did know, forgive her for manipulating them into a breakup. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like the shitty therapist that I had before the one I have now. Um, I didn't I didn't switch because of this, but she was also just like not even a good listener. And I didn't want even a good listener. I wanted a good dialogue companion. But um, she did say like you know, I'll keep him in my prayers and stuff. And mm. I would just say, thanks. Even though she knew that I didn't think that did anything, uh, but like, what, what am I going to do? Argue with her. So, you know, that plus the fact that the fact that she bothers saying that demonstrates that she's a shitty listener. Um, yeah. I've had a cool therapist. So, um, I like this a lot. Uh, he says to June saying to Val, I'm not saying it's, it's going to take some time to get back on good footing. Um, he says, I wasn't even sure if I, to himself, he says, I wasn't even sure if I meant the words I was saying, only that some better version of Juniper would be saying them. This was the Juniper I wanted to be, the one who could forgive a mistake and not go down the rabbit hole of recrimination and anger. And goddamn, that's touching yeah. as hell. Mm -hmm. And to quote a wise man like Juniper slash Alexander Wales, we can't always be the person we want to be, but we can try. Mm -hmm. And Fen was trying to. Um, I will skip most of this next thing except for. Uh, he tells her, he tells Val, if you ever look at me with the devil behind your eyes, I'll never speak to you again, which, yeah. you know, I, I get it, dude. And from Val's perspective, like, think about it. If you had this superpower to know for sure, if someone is being honest with you or, you know, be able to read subtext and someone's like, no, you can't use that superpower with me. You'd be like, ah, but, but I, I want to know. Yeah. Like, so I get what I, so Val wanted to verify the truth of June's, uh, you know, forgiveness there. And he's like, if you fucking do that, we'll never ever talk again. Right. Oh God. That is, that is a really hard ultimatum. I don't know if I would 
be willing to to do that like if i had val's powers i don't know if i would even be like that is a fair thing to ask me i might be like you know what fuck you i'm out of this party now although obviously val wouldn't because she's a broken human and can't do that well she's powerful now i mean she can go do whatever she wants but i mean it's kind of like you know if i was friends with charles xavier and i asked him not to read my mind you know i'd have no way of verifying if he did or not but i'd like him to say you know sure you know unless i feel like i absolutely need to and i trust that he had good reasons or something right yeah, but it's not quite the same with Charles Xavier. He's functional without without using his powers, whereas... <laughs> very, very compelling point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, at the end of this chapter, Raven shows up at the front door. Yay. Yeah, so June's... June's uh, so Val does like the hologram... Or not Val. Uh, Bethel does the hologram magic thing. And the last words of the chapter are June thinking fucking great and might actually be kind of great maybe she joins the party of course think of all the insane feelings of like you know his girlfriend died you know very recently in subjective time like a week ago and they you know they just you know the dirt is still being packed down and who shows up yeah. but the meat suit of the only other girl he slept with right yes exactly so this will be fun and dramatic i'm sure yeah it's i i mean i'm looking forward to to Obviously, I'm looking forward to this whole book being read by you, which is why I started this project. But <laughs> oh, yeah, when we I'm, when I'm, we hit the point where we were, when you said I want to do this pot this podcast, let me know when we pass that. Uh, well, I hit a point quite a while ago where I said I know I want to do this podcast with Stephen. Uh, oh yeah, I don't remember I think we did how call long after. Yeah, I don't remember how long after that it was that I actually approached you and said, "Let's do this thing," because it wasn't like an immediate one right after the other. No, but I remember like you, you pitched the idea while we we're still doing We Want More. And yes. so like it was then going to be obviously a few months after that. All right. So when we hit the part where uh, I guess, yeah, maybe to where you were at when we started the podcast and then like the story finished from there. Totes, I can do that. If you happen to remember, because that'll be fun. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're not going to be there next chapter or next episode, but where will we be? We will be reading chapters 121 through 124. Those are 121, Maddie, 122, Raven, 123, Medieval Stasis, and 124, Fight Club. <laughs> well, I, I don't think anyone gets any Sherlock points for getting chapters 121 or 122. Yeah. Medieval Stasis, I don't know, Fight Club, I really, maybe it is just going to be them fighting out some of their feelings. <laughs> I, I never really understood what the point of Fight Club was supposed to be. Um, so, oh, the first one? The movie? And I, yeah. Oh man, it was so good, but we're at the end of the podcast. We'll I know it's too late. That's yeah. why I like, and I, the thing is, I know that it's a good movie that a lot of people appreciate. And the fact that mm-hmm. we can't have it explained to me right now, is just going to keep people on the edge of their seats. So well, I don't know if I can explain it to you, but maybe we could watch it together for a special patrons only episode. I mean, I've seen the movie. All right, let me just watch get it some, together let, again. Let me, let me just get some hate mail. I didn't really like the movie. I thought the ending was stupid. So dude, you're going to get so much hate mail from me. <laughs> well, <laughs> from me personally, if, if you want to send me personal hate mail, uh, find us on, on Patreon and support the yes. show. Uh, 15% goes back to Alexander Wales. <laughs> and you can also rate and review us online, wherever you get the podcast. We appreciate that too. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see you all next week. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, again, this grief was written so well that it seems from personal experience. But again, so did being a 1920s reporter. So I have no idea, but I suspect 
that a lot of this came from a personal place from Alexander. And so there's got to be some vulnerability putting that in a story. I've never written a story, so I'm not sure. But thank you for putting this together. And even though this was a sad one, we had uh, it was I can't say it was sad and it was a pleasure, but it was very valuable going through it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and thank you, Alexander Wales. This is your game. We're just playing it. This is my. That was my long way of saying that this time. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll catch you next week, everybody. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye bye.